there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. just arrived on the island with May and Des and Gary. Do you hear me, Penny? You can never wake up from a frightmare more than a bad dream. Possessed by a terrible compulsion more hideous than the power of the devil. Hello everybody, welcome to No More Room in Hell number 37. I'm Mike, joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, lovers of 70s beautiful women. How the hell is everyone doing today? Pretty good. I would hope that uh, that that covers a lot of people, the lovers of beautiful 70s women. Uh, well, I mean, you know, some people that are... You cast a wide net, right? <laughs> Uh, all right, joining us as always as well, it's Derek. What's up, Derek? How are you? Uh, Mike, it's been a while, shorter than last time, but uh, just glad we're free from the clutches of the summer series for now. You know, that was such a cruel and obstacle to get through. Ain't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of time and resources put into it, and that's not a complaint, just a matter of fact you know there's a lot of movies to watch a lot of uh thinking about when it comes to ranking even you know not just your initial years that you're on but i i would say the round table is even more uh it's just craziness but yeah it's it's in the rearview mirror at least for 2021 um so derek you you've done it again you've recruited a guest for the show so since this is kind of becoming your unofficial role uh why don't you introduce who uh you grabbed this time Sure. Uh, you guys would probably know this guy if you listen to the Summer Series because he's featured on a few episodes of that and the upcoming roundtables as well, which he actually recorded with uh, my two co-hosts here. Uh, he was a host of a show that I was actually a guest on called The Fistful of Action back in the day where we did uh, The Divine Fury, which is this weird, like, mixture of kung fu and exorcism movies uh that ends with our main character fighting a snake dude <laughs> it's fucking a sight to behold uh he's been actually been on my show recently cinema attack on the iconic episode lions tigers and bears oh my <laughs> uh jeff long what's going on jeff hey dudes uh not too much thanks for having me on man of great words that's awesome <laughs> yeah man glad uh you could join us for this it's it's funny because you know we like uh excuse me derek said we just uh recorded roundtable recently and uh first time we did something together so i had a blast on that and when derek said you were coming on for this it was like cool uh derek you, you 
he finds like everyone from all over the podcasting community. Uh, some people that have heard us do stuff together and some not, but, uh, hopefully you'll have fun today and, uh, maybe want to come back in the future. So <laughs> I guess I'd we'll imagine so at the end of the show. <laughs> and, and, you know, we'll actually say this beforehand, before the grueling experience of the show, when you do come back, you get to choose the movies, Jeff. Yep. Oh, I'll be back then. I'll be back <laughs> oh. just for that. See, 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 it sounds a lot better when you say it after the show, before, <laughs> before the main reviews and stuff, Mike. <laughs> yeah, just like, I'll make the show fun single-handedly if I have to next time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, we usually start the show off with catching up with what we watched, played, read, whatever. So uh, we will stick to that, beginning with Venom. Uh, what do you got up first, Venom? All right. First movie I watched. Um, let's see. This movie is brand new. Uh, just dropped less or yeah, less than a week ago. Um, last Wednesday, I believe it dropped. And this is an animated version of a classic movie. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. This is, of course, Night of the Animated Dead, with which, of course, is an animated version of Night of the Living Dead. It is a, basically a line-for-line line remake. Very few changes, very, very minor changes for the most part. I'd say 95% of the story remains the same to the uh, 1968 classic. Uh, we do get uh, a couple of extra scenes. Like we actually get to see a little bit of what happened at Beek Beekman's diner, as opposed to just hearing Ben tell the story to Barbara. So that was kind of a nice addition. Unfortunately, my positives of the film are basically going to stop there. Um, this animation is very uninspired, very dull, kind of elementary. If this movie came out in the late 70s or early 80s, I might praise its animation, but it's just very there. You know, there, there's no real style to it. It's like the most drab animation that you could think of. Um obviously if you've ever seen the movie you already know the story so it's not like there's any kind of shock or surprise like i said there's no major changes to any of the plot points anyway um just uh you know some, maybe some extra shots like pov shots from the zombies that we never got in the original they throw in a couple of those in here uh one that i really liked specifically was uh after the um the original members of the basement you know the coopers and uh, those guys, when they first come out and Ben and Mr. Cooper are arguing, they're kind of yelling at each other. We actually get a shot outside the house uh, from a POV zombie shot that actually shows um, more zombies approaching as they're hearing these two arguing. That's something that we didn't get in the original. It just kind of shows that, you know, these two arguing actually kind of set up their impending doom. So that was that was really one of the coolest things that the movie did. But like I said, um, not really anything more positive to say about it. The voice acting is absolutely atrocious. There, there's a, nobody has any emotion in this movie. Um, when Mrs. Cooper gets killed in the basement by her daughter, we all remember that classic screeching, uh, you know, when zombie daughter was killing her mother with that uh, trowel, whatever that thing is, the, the gardening tool, a little mini hoe, um, you know, and in this movie, it was just like so dull and lifeless. There was nothing to it. That scene actually gave me nightmares as a kid in the original and in this animated, it's just 
there. You know, they didn't really do much with it. The audio mix is terrible. Every single scene sounds the exact same, whether they're inside, outside, in the cellar. There's very little ambient audio, and they did very little um, mixing and effects with the voice, with the, you know, voiceovers to make it sound like they were, like I said, either outside or in a basement or in a large room, like the majority of the film takes place. But um, overall, this is just one of those things that comes out because Night of the Living Dead is public domain. There's no copyright. So basically anybody can make anything called Night of the Living Dead and it's totally legal and viable. So um, and I think that this movie is just a byproduct of that. Uh, some some animators, it seems like some animators that just got out of college, maybe decided to just make this movie. And like I said, it's just one of the most uninspired things I've ever seen. I was actually really excited to see this, but within 15 minutes, I was already, you know, disenfranchised and not really all that interested. I powered through it. Just to finish it, I'm glad I did because, like I said, they do some different things. And one other positive is that it is really gory. Since it's animated, they can give us all the gore that we didn't get in the original 1968 classic. So, yeah, overall, I'm going to say that this one should, you know, it's not must-watch entertainment by any stretch. Even if you are a hardcore Romero fan, which I am... I still can barely recommend this. I mean, if you have a morbid curiosity to check this out, I would say go for it. But um, there's just not really a whole lot of positives to take out of it. The one good thing is it is only an hour and 10 minutes. So that's kind of nice. You're in and out a lot quicker than you were for the original Night of the Living Dead. But that's a, that's about it for me. Mike, I know you saw this one. What did you think of it? Yeah, I'm pretty close to you. I probably liked it a little bit more. Um, I did like the decision because let's be honest, other than the 1990 Night of the Living Dead, which I know some people are not a fan, but I I mean, I really like it. And I'd probably say that's the most successfully, you know, remake or reimagining of the original. Most attempts at at, uh, like a new vision or whatever have not been very good. Um, so I do think it was the right decision with this animated one to pretty much use mostly the original script, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the beginning, because, you know, when you're watching that opening graveyard scene, it's so exact uh, with the original that you're kind of on board just to begin with. At least, you know, I was I was like, OK, I see what they're doing here, as opposed to just trying to, like, totally redo the story. Um, but, yeah, there's. There's still many shortcomings with it. The animation, it kind of feels like um, if anyone's played like the the Walking Dead Telltale games or any of the other mm-hmm. ones where it's kind of like, almost like the it's like one style of animation and the characters uh, almost juxtaposed on like kind of a different style of animation on the backgrounds. And it doesn't come off very inspired for a movie. That's that's the problem. Like if this was like a short or even like a point and click video game, like the Telltale games kind of somewhat are. I understand it more for that. But I'm like, man, it's 2021. We don't need this type of animation. Um, (laughs) I mean, Hanna-Barbera animation looks better. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, I would say if, if. Someone's like really itching for another version of Night of the Living Dead. Maybe check it out. Like you said, it's only an hour and 10 minutes, so Mm -hmm. you don't have to invest in a lot of time. Maybe it's like something because the original 
uh, time I threw it on, or the only time was, I think it was like late at night, knew I would have to go to bed for work soon. So I was like, what's something short running time? And I just happened to see someone else talking about it on social media. So I looked it up um, and saw that it was 110, or excuse me, uh, hour and 10 minutes. And I was like, okay, that's short enough to where I could probably get the whole thing in before going to bed. And so for that kind of circumstance or situation, yeah, throw it on if you're curious about it. But uh, I wouldn't like build yourself or your hype up for it or anything like that. I was really excited. Well, I was mildly excited for it because uh, this is the director, Jason Axon. He's also the same director who did um, from a couple of years ago to your last death which Mm -hmm. is an animated movie that we reviewed on Fresh Cuts. Why he didn't just use that same animation style is beyond me. If he would have literally used exactly what he... And mind you, when we reviewed To Your Last Death, we we also kind of called it elementary, but not like this. Like, that... Mm -hmm. That one had like a very cool 2D cell shading style that was it was at least different. It was something that we hadn't seen. Whereas this yeah. this looks like every other cartoon I've ever seen. It's just well, like it, I said, uninspired. It kind of, yeah, it kind of felt like the characters themselves were similar because when the when it first starts, that that movie came to mind a little bit with the characters, but the more it goes on and you're kind of looking around at the backgrounds and the scenery, you're like, it's, it doesn't look appealing uh, the way it's done. And I was like, why didn't they just do the full scenes yeah. the other way? Um, eh, I was, was going to say something else, but I can't remember, but <laughs> it's not necessary. Um, either of you guys have seen this one. Yeah, either Derek or Jeff? Oh, all I know is all I took out of that was mini ho. <laughs> <laughs> um, Derek likes them small. <laughs> Little hands. <laughs> All right. Then in that case, Derek, you're up next. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, why not? Uh, first film I checked out was a film that I actually didn't know existed. Uh, this was made in 1995, but it was never released in the U.S. until this year because uh, this new label called Era 4444, I think it's 44s, <laughs> but uh, yeah, weird name for a label, uh, released this on Blu-ray, and this is, I was very intrigued because it's actually directed by my Facebook friend, Yashira Nishimara. Uh if you don't know that name, he's a special effects artist, and he does a lot of effects for like movies from Sane Sono, Naburo, Gucci. Uh, if you've seen some crazy Asian movie, he probably did the effects in it. <laughs> and he's directed a few movies on his own. Uh, his most famous probably being like Tokyo Gore Police, Hell Driver, uh, Mutant Girl Squad. Uh, to name a few of the ones, but this one is titled, let me read this, because uh, Entamana Extinction, which is kind of the original version of Tokyo Gore Police. Uh, Tokyo Gore Police is actually a remake of this movie. Uh, Yeah, it was kind of interesting to see that. It pretty much, instead of following uh, one of the, the police officers, actually, it follows a civilian in everyday life, Japan, 
And what ends up happening is he ends up running into an engineer, which is kind of like the mutant people from Tokyo Core Police inside, like, uh, the subway. It actually uh, takes place in a subway, the same scenes, like, in Tokyo Core Police. And uh, the same thing happens where the engineer actually makes him into an engineer. And while he's transforming, he actually goes on a mental breakdown and killing spree, killing people. And that's when we introduced to, of course, the police uh, who take him down. This is a very short movie, uh, very low budget. It was actually shot in 16 millimeter. Uh, he made this when he was 25. It's It's got kind of the same basic tropes and s- story beats of Tokyo Gore Police, but uh, Tokyo Gore Police is very expanded and but it's, it still say, has some of the same material and the effects are pretty great. Uh, some of the scenes actually remind me of, like early David Lynch and Cronenberg, especially with like some of the aerial shot. Even like the subway chase scene that happens kind of reminds me of American Werewolf in London, uh, the chase that happens in that movie in the subway. Uh, I dug it for what it was, you know. This is a good like little piece of Asian cinema that... Uh, you know, it, you don't really get, like, these type of movies anymore. It's kind of a mixture of, like, art house with, like, body horror. And it's it's kind of, you know, like, I love Tokyo Gore Police. It's, it's very over-the-top, though, and, you know, it goes to places that I never thought body horror could go. Gator crotch. <laughs> you know, uh, this is a very much more simpler story, and, you know... Didn't hurt. Fifty-four minutes. It it tells like what's going on, and you know it has some like social commentary within it too. That is more displayed in Tokyo Gore Police, but this one's a little bit more like straightforward and serious toned, which I was kind of interested in. I say because I know this actually these Blu-rays were limited. I I don't know if they're actually doing like a repressing of these down the line, and yeah, if it does, I'll post about it on the Facebook group. I say check it out. Nice. And that's my Facebook friend, Yashiro Nishimara. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean if that movie is a uh if it if if it inspired or it's or is the original of uh Mutant uh Police Squad, yeah. I, I'm I'm there. Or yeah. Tokyo Agora uh, Police, excuse me. Um yeah, I am very on board for those movies. They they are always a great time. Ridiculous score in its absolute, you know, best is so much fun. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to check that out, Derek. Nice. Cool. Um Jeff, you got something? Um yeah, you know, I've been watching quite a bit actually, you know, just because of the time of the year, I'm trying to hit at least one movie a day. Um, So I guess I'll talk about The Resident from 2011. Um, I don't know what I watched it for because it wasn't good. Uh, I guess I I do that kind of thing, though. It was, I want to say that Hammer produced it. So it was one of the, like, Hammer revival, I guess, um, you know, productions. And I, I, I watched it because I think I saw the trailer, you know, 
reading about Wakewood or something like that, which was also another Hammer-produced um, film. Well, this one has Hilary Swank and Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it and Christopher Lee. So I was like, oh, that's 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 got to be kind of cool. Um, you know, but it was it was basically just uh, kind of like a paint-by-numbers um, thriller with a little bit of horror sprinkled in. You know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's the... Uh, he he owns the building or he's like the super or something, something like that. And he, you find out he kind of got Hillary Swank to move in because he saw her somewhere and was kind of a creep. Ha, have you guys seen this at all or? Yeah, I have. Okay. Nope. Yeah. And he, so, you know, she moves in and the, the story unfolds and it's kind of, like I said, paint by numbers. It's you, you could kind of see everything coming a mile away. The only thing I didn't see, coming a mile away was like this weird rewind it did and it was like you're probably wondering how we got here like type of thing you know (laughs) it's like right in the middle and it like rewinds all that back and basically you know just shows how how it all happened rather than just showing how it all happened it did this weird rewind thing that i didn't care for um took me out of the movie even more Um, but yeah like just just kind of generic overall and wasn't the biggest fan and unfortunately that is what i watched so <laughs> yeah yeah i remember watching that i think when it came out actually i think i rented it at the library actually weirdly enough <laughs> and uh yeah it's very generic it's very even the cover even the cover like even like you know i didn't spend money on it i'm like okay i'll rent it anyways i don't give a fuck it's free you know i like that's why i rent movies at the library Right. Most of the time and shit. I'll check it out still. And uh, yeah, it's there. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and you know, I was hoping you know Christopher Lee had a bigger part, but you know that was dumb of me to think that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and bringing uh, bad movies to the table here is never uh, frowned upon because you know, it means that we never have to watch him either. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Save me an hour and a half. I, I, I never, uh, you know, uh, frown on someone warning me what not to watch. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> to my first pick, uh, I made the mistake of watching this movie called The Voyeurs on, <laughs> I think it's a- Amazon prime it like it's one of the streaming service originals but i want to say amazon this is kind of more of just like a curiosity thing um it was getting like you know streaming services are starting to get better now about like really heavily promoting theirs their movies like as if it was a theatrical movie so through this on while i was at work like i was like okay well, i'll give something like you know 40 percent of my attention or whatever and the easiest way i could sum this up is take a Lifetime movie, like one of the sleazier Lifetime movies, but they can actually have nudity in it because it's on a streaming service. So basically the setup for this is this, like, you know, young, young young-ish couple move into a high-rise building. I don't know if they even said what city it was, but, you know, a generic big metropolitan city and find, or come to find out that, like, the this couple that lives in an adjacent building are I guess warriors where like they keep their blinds open so people can see you know everything that goes on whatever you know um and then naturally like the the girlfriend 
of this couple, uh, the ones that are like looking across, she, she gets like a little more obsessed with like following their lives and stuff. And the boyfriend's like, you know, it was one thing when we looked the first couple times, but you're getting too involved. So it kind of becomes somewhat of a mystery thriller with her trying to figure out, you know, Oh, what am I seeing? And what does it mean? And what's really going on? And I don't, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that actually might want to watch it. Probably no one on this show, but it basically comes to like an absurd conclusion with a ridiculous, uh, twist, I guess. And it, it just becomes laughable, which is probably in line with like lifetime movies. You know, they, they kind of go for like the ridiculous and like the worst case scenarios. This one, it's just what they kind of reveal that was going on the whole time is just like, what? Um, now, for people that like Lifetime movies, they would probably get a kick out of this because, obviously, if you are a regular watcher of Lifetime movies, this is what you expect almost going into the movie. So I would say if that's kind of your thing, give it a watch. Maybe you'll like appreciate the fact that it can have the nudity to go along with the sleaze factor. Because I've I always I've been like a big Lifetime watcher. My, like growing up, my uh, my mom would watch them sometimes, and it always kind of cracked me up that like this lifetime network you know they want to show these movies that like have some really sleazy plots sometimes but because it's like basic cable they can't like fully go all the way with it um but you know these these streaming services can get around that and actually go all the way so i guess it gets credit for not holding back like um it's definitely an our movie when it comes to that factor but otherwise yeah, there's not much. Uh, the The main star, or I, I guess the biggest name in this is, I think her name's Sydney Sweeney. She's that blonde girl in, in that HBO show Euphoria, and she's been in a few movies. Like she's kind of becoming like, I don't know if I give her the status of being an it girl, but she's like kind of building up to that where she you're starting to see her make the rounds in more shows and movies. I think she's in like HBO that White Lotus HBO show. Um, so she's getting around, um, as far as work, I mean, but, uh, I'm guessing that none of you guys have seen this, but all on the off chance. Fuck has no. <laughs> no. Is this new Mike? Yeah, probably. Uh, I, when I watched it, it wasn't like released like that dare. It's probably like sure. a month or two okay. old, maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, there isn't, there is an audience for these sets of movies. Like it's like, when I say it's not my thing and probably not our thing, it's not that it's like so poorly made or just unwatchable. It's just like it, it definitely needs to find the right audience and there is an audience for it. It's just not us. And I was hoping for like a little bit like more on the thriller side, but it just becomes so comical at what, as a story unfolds that I think you're going to be doing more laughing at it than anything else. You should have watched Cannibal Troll instead on Amazon Prime. It's terrible and hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure that's a better recommendation. <laughs> um, all right, back to Venom. All right, my next movie is um, one of the newest genre releases on Netflix. It is a Netflix original but in this case, we're going to be talking about a family film, uh, or at least a more family-friendly horror film. And, of course, I am speaking about Nightbooks. Uh, like I said, released on September 15th. 
on Netflix. It is a Netflix original um, starring Kristen Ritter as uh, Natasha the Witch. Um, not Jessica really a lot. Jones. Oh, yeah. right. Jessica Jones. Damn right. Um, and this uh, this movie basically follows Alex. He's a little boy who's obsessed with writing scary stories, but after the recent death of his mother, his father has like become adamant that he not write scary stories. So he's basically been forbidden from doing it on the exact same day that he is forbidden from ever writing any more scary stories. He is um, lured into an apartment and that is Natasha, the witch's apartment. And once in there, uh, the setup is very much like tales from the dark side. If you guys remember the film tales Mm -hmm. from the dark side with Debbie Harry, exactly very much like the wraparound story. In this case, the witch isn't necessarily going to eat the children, but she does keep them as slaves. um, If they serve a purpose to her there, there is a a little black girl there named um, Yasmin who basically cleans the house and kind of takes care of the day-to-day operations there in the house. And Alex has been tasked with telling scary stories. But of course, he's recently been you know, told not to write anymore. The witch basically tells him either you serve a purpose or you get dispatched. And the movie kind of goes from there. It's not. I wouldn't go so far as to call this an uh, an anthology. It's not a true anthology in the sense that... Um, the stories that Alex tells, they're very short um, and they're done in a different style. They're almost done like a stage play. Like you've got like cardboard sets and backgrounds, but with real actors acting out the parts in Alex's story. So not not a true anthology like Tales from the Dark Side. But, you know, Alex, Alex, Yasmin and the witch Natasha are very, very much the center of this film. Um, 90 per, 90 to 95% of the movie takes place in Natasha's apartment. Natasha's apartment actually is also magical um, in the sense that it can like uh, transport to different areas. Like um, Yasmin, they say that Yasmin was actually taken from an apartment in Washington, D.C., but Alex was in Brooklyn when he was uh, taken. But they, but obviously this apartment can move from building to building. I don't know that we actually ever see that happen, but it's the kind of thing where they'll open the front door. Uh, it, they'll be in a certain area, then they'll close it and then open it again right away. And they will be somewhere completely different. Uh, very much like Howl's Moving Castle. If anybody's ever seen that anime, that um, Miyazaki anime where the house you know, same thing. You could open the door and then hit a switch, open the door again, and you'll be somewhere completely different. Kind of the same thing, but definitely more a horror tinge to it as opposed to Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this movie to be actually fairly fun. It's not great. I, th- I think I'd rather on any given day just rather watch Tales from the Dark Side. I think the individual stories are a little bit stronger in that one. Um this one, like I said, this honestly could have just been like a segment of like the Creep Show series or honestly a, an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. Um, you know, we do get an hour and 45 minute movie out of it. But like I said, you get multiple scenes of just Alex telling stories, multiple scenes of Alex and Yasmin trying to escape um, the uh, the apartment, multiple scenes of Alex and Yasmin trying to decipher uh, a 
diary like diary pages that they're finding throughout uh, the apartment. The apartment has a library in it that's gigantic. Literally, if you look up, you can't see the ceiling. It goes up so high. Uh, and it's a gigantic room, and it literally looks like one of the biggest libraries I would ever have been in. Um, and, of course, uh, basically every book in there has been read by the witch, hence why she took Alex to try to tell her some new original stories. Blah, 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 blah. You know, the hilarity ensues from there. I won't go any more into any plot points. But um, like I said, overall, I found this movie fun. It's not visceral in any way. I mean, it, it's like it's basically the equivalent of a PG-13 um, you know, no real blood, um, some minor moments of tension here and there, but it's definitely going to be more along the lines of uh, like a Goosebumps or the house with the clock in its walls, you know, stuff like that. It's a little bit more family friendly. I would still say uh, I would still give it a recommendation if you are a fan of more family friendly horror films or if you have young children, uh, they, I think they might enjoy this. Um, like I said, not very visceral. Um, I don't really remember any like actual creatures or anything that might scare younger audiences. Natasha, the witch is basically the main antagonist of it all. So yeah, um, a mild recommend from me, um, Mike or or anybody, did you guys get a chance to check this out yet? Uh, I have not. I only actually started hearing about this and, you know, at first I'm like, when I saw like the ads and, pictures mm-hmm. and I'm like is this a fantasy movie I don't even know what the fuck this is <laughs> but I heard Bo talk about it on his uh, show he does with Jamie there nice. and he, he actually gave it a glowing review he actually really enjoyed it from what I remember oh good I'm glad he liked it more than I did I'm not I mean I liked it I, I definitely like I can't say I loved it I've seen a lot better you know family oriented horror in the past but for whatever it's worth, you know, for, uh, you know, if you've got a, a couple of hours to kill and, and you're into this kind of entertainment, I, I think there's no reason not to check it out. Good performances. You know, Kristen Ritter is awesome as a witch. I mean, she's definitely the highlight of the movie. Her mood swings. You know, she goes from a nice, almost demure woman to just evil cackling witch, you know, so that that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I do love her. I do love her. So, yeah, I'm probably oh, yeah. genuine. And she's beautiful throughout the movie. I mean, you know, she doesn't do any kind of weird witchy transformation. She's Jessica Jones the whole movie, and I love it. She's got a great style, too, like the way the way she does her makeup, the way the, 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 the kind of Victorian-style clothing that she wears, even though the movie's set in modern times. Um, the set design is definitely, you know, one of the high points. Good score. Like I said, great performances. It's just a matter of if these stories hit for you. You know, if this yeah, I feel sounds it. interesting, then cool. Otherwise, you know, if you've seen Tales from the Dark Side, you've already seen a better version of this. So, you know, like I said, mild recommend. I've seen Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> <laughs> Not this. <laughs> you, might, um, you, might, you have two young daughters, so... It, especially if your older daughter is already watching like family oriented horror, that she mm-hmm. might get into this. Yeah, my my kids are like weird like that where they don't. It's like they don't watch horror movies necessarily, but they're starting to like get into like being like scared or trying to get scared by like either video games or just like YouTube videos that they watch. Um, like my youngest is always like, "Hey, come watch me get jump scared at something." Let's make him watch American Guinea Pig and get it over with. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess from there, it's like once I watch that, then all downhill. Just, nothing's off limits. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to put down the YouTube? Okay, come watch this. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know because uh, I'm trying to think of like what podcasters. I know plenty of that have kids, but I'm trying to think which ones have kids my age because I'm not sure if it's just a generational thing where kids coming up i mean i know eventually like it's not that i don't ever watch movies but they just tend to very much be like watching shorter of yeah. like to get them to sit down to watch like full-length features other than when i take them to the theater sure. you know they're all into that but that's also when you can guarantee that like no devices no anything is around to like distract them um but at home it's just very difficult to say okay come here and watch this 90 minute or in some cases like two hour movie yeah that'll change i'm sure oh yeah um all right uh derek back to you yeah uh this is a movie that the guys covered on fresh cuts and that is sensor from 2021 uh yeah if you guys are listeners if you haven't listened to that fresh cuts episode i'll give you a little as you know, this movie's about a censor during uh, the 80s, uh, where the video nasty era of, takes place in UK during like the video nasty era. And uh, its main character is a censor, who, if you don't know what that is, a censor is somebody who actually goes through like these movies that are being prosecuted or subjected to be released. And they either cut scenes out or not release the movie at all. <laughs> That's their job. And I found that very interesting when watching the movie. Because I actually was curious. Because, you know, I was watching the, the video nasty documentaries. Uh, who, which actually kind of brings the point that uh, one of the guys who was one of the talkers of that documentary, Kim Newman, is actually one of the producers of this movie. Uh yeah, and, you know, she's going through a movie one day, uh, and she has, like, this backstory where her sister, something happened to her sister, her sister disappeared when they were young, and, uh, you know, it's getting to that point where the parents are trying to move on, but she can't, and when she's watching this film that's being covered called Don't Go Into the Church, <laughs> great title, mm. and, uh, because there's a lot of don't movies. <laughs> uh, and she sees a girl that she thinks looks like her sister. Uh, what goes on after that, I'm not going to really spoil. If you want guys want to hear Mike and Venom's review on this film where they go in depth on it, check out their Fresh Cuts episode. Uh, yeah, this film's kind of like a great mental illness type movies. I, I, I kind of like these type of movies. Uh, you know, the main character, uh, great performance, uh, Naeem Algar, Irish actress. I've seen her in a few movies. Uh, she was actually in a, the Wrath of Man, the Jason Statham movie recently. Uh, and yeah, that's another interesting movie that we'll talk about on a different show someday. <laughs> but, uh, uh yeah, uh, I love seeing Michael Smiley in any British movie. He's great. You probably recognize him from numerous Ben Wheatley movies. Uh, he plays a, like a sleazy movie producer in this movie, and it's fucking great. 
when his character comes in. And I just love like all like the fake reality stuff that happens within this movie. It, it's great because it builds with like her career per se, especially uh, once you get to the, there's a great scene in a video store that actually plays later into the end of the movie. And I like that because at first I'm like, Oh shit, that's the fucking house. You know, I'm not going to spoil it if nobody's ever seen it, but, uh, yeah, I dug this movie a lot. Is it going to be for everyone? Eh, it's, 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 I think it's going to be like one of those movies this year that's going to build its own. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it for what it was. Uh, I am in the camp of loving it. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely one that I, it's kind of like, and, you know, I hear that thing, is it really a horror film? It's very psychological horror, especially with the main character. I put this in, like, the camp of, like, speaking of 70s movies, uh, we're going to talk about UK-British movies, uh, Jose Ramon LaRaz's Symptoms. It, it kind of has, like, that same character trademark in it that I like in, you know, movies like uh, Images from Robert Altman. Uh, it kind of has kind of the same feel to those, and you know, just if you love the learning about the video nasties, you know, there's a great scene where it shows clips from the Driller Killer, the iconic scene. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> Driller Killer, it's on every cover of that movie. But, uh, yeah, I dug it for what it was. Uh, Mike and Venom, I know uh, you guys have different opinions on this movie. I know, Jeff, I don't think you've seen it yet. Is that correct? Yeah, no, I haven't, but one I'm waiting to check out for sure. Mm. I um, I remember oh, ahead, liking it. I remember liking it. I just remember kind of feeling the same way about this movie that I felt like about Malignant, where the third act is a little bit of a mess. Not much, but just a little bit, especially on that first watch. When you, I, I did watch it a second time. And it definitely screams more psychological horror on second watch because I, on the first watch, you're taking it at face value and you're just like scratching your head. Like, what the hell is going on? Who, who is this? Or, you know, what is this set that they're on? Who is this person that just got randomly killed? Just like, things like that without giving away too many major plot points. The third act definitely I'm not going to say takes a, a drastic left turn. Not necessarily. It's just. Um, the action is definitely ramped up. The first two acts are very uh, plotting, um, you know, kind of a slower burn, but not, I didn't think it had any pacing issues. I love the first two acts, if I remember correctly. But then the third act, I didn't necessarily dislike the third act. I just thought that they kind of, um, kind of the same way that Mike feels about the new Candyman, how I felt like they skipped like 10 or so minutes of storyline to go to kind of, to kind of sew those two acts together, two going into three, uh, very much like Candyman, because I agree with Mike on that. Like the, the second act going into the third act, it feels like there's a couple of scenes missing. There's information that we didn't get. Um, there's reactions that we didn't get that kind of leave the third act a little flat. I don't think censor leaves you flat. If anything, it kind of leaves you breathless because that third act is, you know, a lot happens, basically, and sometimes, especially on first watch, you may not quite understand it all, 
But on second watch, it definitely clears up nicely. And I did end up liking it more on second watch, but I still can't really say I love the film for whatever that's worth. I, I'll leave it at I really like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Mike's so I'm uh, I'm ahead of Venom on it as far as ratings go. I I really liked it. Um, I you know it's been a minute since I've seen it now, so um, I'll probably be rewatching it though when we for when we do our top ten at the end of the year or beginning of next year. And, oh yeah. Uh, but I remember really liking it. I liked the journey the main character went on. Um, I know. There is a whole situation with her sister, which is kind of implied. You can kind of like take the implication and kind of run with it how much you want as far as what exactly um, the main character's role is or is not in that whole situation. But I definitely think that trauma kind of sets up her journey, obviously, because how, you know, with the way things play out, again, I'm trying not to spoil it too much, but. Yeah, it's it, and it's another uh, example of a like a trend, especially this year with like short running time movies that kind of get going and get you out of there, like even under ninety minutes. So it's definitely a quick ride, and I I think that ending the ending specifically really is reminiscent of another twenty twenty one movie, and I think we brought it up in the spoiler section of Fresh Cuts, but I won't hear just because it's another recent movie that would potentially be spoiling both the endings of two movies, which I don't want to do. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. We'll see, you know, if it lands in the top 10, our, Venom, our list of fresh cuts. Like I looked at it the other day when I was saving the latest episode. Yeah. We, we built up. I mean, we're kind of in that part of the year where the list is getting long and stuff we did cover, but, um, it's definitely for me, at least that one will be a candidate for a rewatch because it's kind of sitting there where it yeah. could end up potentially. I will I will definitely give it a rewatch at the end of the year. I could confidently say I don't think it's going to be in my top 10, um, even though I really did like it. I just there, there's been too much this year that I like a lot more. But it's, you know, it's probably in like my top 15 or 20 for the year right now. I will definitely give it a rewatch at the end of the year, give it every opportunity to impress me more. But yeah, um, I, I, after watching it twice now, I don't think it'll be in my top 10, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's whatever. I, mm -hmm. just, I just know I loved it so much that I pre-ordered the 4K from Vinegar Syndrome. That nice. Just it is a visually stunning movie too. It's a, it's an incredibly well made as far as uh, the cinematics. Um, the cinematography oh, is amazing. Yeah, the, the great score, great lighting. Some of the, a couple of the scenes, especially like in the second act, had some really cool lighting. So there's a lot of positives to take from it. Don't you know? Don't let me deter you from watching it by any stretch. Just because you know of my issues with the third act, you may not have those issues. So you know, you may end up loving it, which obviously Derek did. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, because mostly on Fresh Cuts, we've been praising the shorter run times with movies just because it's kind of like if your story doesn't have enough to fill out, you know, two hours of running time, then you should keep it short. But I, I do think there is an argument to be made in some cases that um, sometimes the shorter running time might hurt in between like the second and third acts because you feel like the third acts ramp up things so much that they're 
almost isn't a transition. It just kind of flips. And I, I think that that was like a common um, feedback from some people that weren't as high on sensor uh, was how the third act completely just kind of gets frantic and, you know, um, but for me, I didn't have you know, that, that issue with it. Um, but, uh, all right. Uh, next, it looks like we yeah. go back to Jeff if he has something. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I keep going. Um, so the other film I watched, I'll keep it the same theme, I guess. It's another, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan film. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't, <laughs> it was the unholy from 2021. Um, so I don't know if he appears in basic, like generic films or he makes the films basic and generic. I can't tell but this <laughs> one is another film that just kind of did nothing for me. Um, you know, it, it had a cool premise starts out, you know, with the, you know, back to the, uh, like a, the past shot showing how they basically like trapped this, um, witch or something in, in like a little little doll and the, you know they, they actually tell you what it is in the movie so that's kind of cool but um the, this girl who is um hearing impaired uh you know the spirit gets out of the doll and kind of gives her the ability to hear again and she she says she that she could see the or yeah hear and see the virgin mary and you know, you kind of find out mm, it's a little more sinister than that. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan shows up. He's kind of the one who let the spirit out um, when he gets to the town. But it's it's extremely, extremely generic. Um, you know, I, th- I thought it, it, it had potential to, you know, do a little bit more uh, just with the way that spirit was able to garner like a little cult. Um her and the, the hearing impaired girl. I don't know her name. Um, but yeah, the other thing that drove me to this watching this one was uh, William Sadler was in it. So I was like, oh, cool. I haven't haven't seen a good William Sadler film in a while. Um, and this one, <laughs> yeah, no, this one just uh, kept that streak going. Uh, but yeah, it, I don't want to talk too much about it just because it's new, fairly new. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't good. Um, it wasn't even okay. I'd say it was a little less than okay. But yeah, like I said, I don't know if uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan does this or he just happens to pick boring films. Did you guys check this one out? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, me and Mike actually reviewed it on Fresh Cuts because it was, it was what, like our second movie back to the theater, I think, maybe? Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same way as you do. It's just lackluster. And honestly, I feel the same way you feel about Jeffrey Dean Morgan's uh, genre <laughs> appearances. Like, like, like the possession did nothing for me. Yeah. Um, there was one other one that I can't think of that was a genre film that he's been in where it was the same thing. It's just lackluster. Um, he's just a better villain than he is a hero, in my opinion. I, whenever I see him as the villain, I am on board all the time. Obviously, Negan is the big one, but even in some of his cinematic roles, mm-hmm. whenever he's trying to be the, the protagonist, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me as much. And this role, especially, what was he like a reporter or something in this one? I forget. It's been so long, but yeah, yeah. it was just, yeah, very uninspired, very underwhelming. 
Um, Very generic, right? Yeah, incredibly generic, yeah. And obviously, you know, when you're watching kind of religious stories like this, you obviously know where it's going. Obviously, there's no way she was hearing the Virgin Mary, just like St. Maud isn't hearing an angel in her head in that movie. So um, it's just one of those things where you kind of know where the ending is going, and that one just didn't surprise me at all. The ending was just as generic as I thought it was going to be, as opposed to St. Maud, where the ending went somewhere I was not expecting, and hence why I love that movie, and and just kind of lackluster on the unholy. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I remember it looking nice. I remember the uh, the locale was pretty cool looking, where they, they built that church around the tree, whatever. Yeah. Um, that was pretty cool looking, but otherwise, yeah, what, lackluster. What did Boring. you think of the CGI um, on the on the bad guy type thing? I famously hate CGI in general. Um, it, it has to be exceptional for me to even be um, accepting of it. So, I, I, in all honesty, I couldn't even answer your question because it left such a small impression that I don't even remember what it may have looked like. But um, trash. Yeah, I mean, knowing what the review that we gave it when, when, you know, on Fresh Cuts, yeah, I can't imagine there was too much about it that I really liked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the funny thing about Jeffrey Dean Morgan is I'm sure, you know, his role as Negan in Walking Dead is getting him all this genre work. But the problem is it's like they're just throwing him in these movies without really casting him to his strengths. It mm-hmm. seemed like... It's not enough to just put him in a movie, you know, or in like a horror thriller or whatever, because he played Negan. It's like, well, you actually have to look at his work at, you know, as that character. And, you know, I'm sure as an actor, he's like, I don't want to sort of be typecast to just be playing the big, bad, mean guy in every movie. But at least give him something that, like, (laughs) shows off, like, his acting a little more than these kind of generic roles. But, yeah, The Unholy, I mean... It's one of those movies where it's one of those big one of its biggest crimes, I guess, is it's just lackluster, kind of boring, nothing you haven't seen, not very inspired, nothing. It, it's just not very interesting. Um, it just doesn't look interesting to me. You know, I actually like Jeffrey D. Morgan as an actor. Uh, you know, uh, as Venom knows, I'm a huge fan of Rampage. <laughs> <laughs> and he's one of the funnier, the funny, funnier characters in that movie because the yep. villains are fucking terrible. You know, I, I kind of like how he's kind of like a nerd when he's like Nate, like when they're looking at the wolf and they're like the kids call him Ralph. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> you know, he has some fun with that role. You know, I like when he has fun, like like the comedian in Watchmen. That's probably his most famous role for me, where he's, oh, like, yeah. you know, he just comes down to I'm your boogeyman from fucking Casey and the Sunshine Band, just starts blasting motherfuckers. But that was a perfect role for him because the comedian was not a virtuous character, even though yeah. he was a hero. He's he like was like an anti-hero. Yeah, exactly. He was a hero in all the wrong ways. So that was a perfect role for him. He nailed that. That's what I mean. Um, like Mike kind of reiterated that you can't make Jeffrey D. Morgan a hero. You don't necessarily have to make him the big bad. But he has to be a villainous character. Even if you want to make him an anti-hero, that'll work. But if you try to make him a virtuous character, it's just hard for us to kind of accept. Yeah, that's true. You know, it just depends on the movie, because I've seen him in, like, some other movies. Like, Admittedly, yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of his movies. You know, I've seen them. I, I, live, with, I, I, live, I live with two sisters. <laughs> I know he was Batman's dad for like five minutes in one scene. <laughs> you know, and uh, he, he was on like 
Grey's Anatomy few seasons. Uh, and, uh, P.S. I Love You. Yeah, yeah. Chick Flicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, Chick Flicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I haven't seen them. <laughs> That's what happens when you live with two girls. Well, three ah, women, actually. You it, know, happens. it just happens, you know? Yep. <laughs> All right, Mike, you're up. All right. So next up for me, um, I, I was actually going to do this one third, but since uh, Derek brought up Censor, which was relating to video nasties, um, I watched uh, The Witch Who Came Out of the Sea, which, ah. um, yeah, uh, it was... I, re- I recommended that. Yeah, it was um, pretty interesting. Like, it was a good premise. It's funny because if you look at if if you look at the box art, <laughs> you would uh, assume this is like a totally different, movie. like maybe yeah. supernatural, crazy movie about a literal witch coming out of the sea to like murder people. But um, it's really more of like a metaphorical movie about you know trauma and how it can affect you. Um, and basically, there we start with you know a woman I believe on the beach and she's kind of watching all these guys work out and uh, it triggers you know repressed uh, memories of trauma and she basically goes throughout the movie like murdering different men kind of like what society would call like you know highly desirable men those types. And we figure out through like or, or learn, I would say, through different memories why she's doing this. And uh, you know, it's a '70s movie, so of course, you know, it's it feels very of the time in its uh, messaging and how they approach the subject. But I, I liked it. You know, it's uh, it was a pretty interesting way to tell this kind of story and how to deal with uh, the long-term effects of trauma on someone. So, you know, without getting into the entire movie, um, I think it's worth a watch. I I threw it on because I think uh, it was like late in the workday, working from home. I just kind of like threw on the Tubi app and was browsing their, man, their, their horror section is so massive that sometimes you run into like the same issue with uh, Netflix. If you're strictly trying to browse and it's like, there's just so much stuff that doesn't look interesting, but Tubi has so much that like you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I came across this one based on the box art and I was like, Oh, this looks interesting. Looked up the synopsis. I was like, all right, give it a shot and ended up liking it. And it's something I probably would have never even known about you know necessary without just kind of browsing so I, I guess there is that even though sometimes trying to browse for something can be annoying and self-defeating because you end up not choosing anything once in a while it does actually turn out um derek you you obviously have seen it so uh what did you think of this movie uh yeah you guys didn't know i actually covered this with duncan on podcast under the stairs when we were doing those uh horror uh American Horror Project box sets of Arrow Video, but uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a long discussion of why it was even like on the prosecuted videos nasties list, and the reason why is the cover art. <laughs> yeah, wow, I, I agree because because as I was watching it, I didn't think you know like there is some blood and stuff, there is some nudity, but it's 
Yeah, I if you didn't already know going into it, or if I wouldn't have known already going into it that it was listed as a video nasty, I would have never thought so because it doesn't feel like overly graphic. But I think the box art and maybe just so a lot of times, especially with like older movies of this era, sometimes it's the themes mm-hmm. that they explore even more so much than the gore um, factor. It's just like you know the ratings boards or whatever whatever these uh censorship boards are specifically they almost have just as much problem with like the messaging of a movie or themes it explores even more so than just the actual graphicness of them themselves or how things are depicted so yeah mike i wanted to ask you how do you think about the cinematography of the film uh i thought it looked pretty crisp it was cool well, why would you think? Well, because I was asking it because it's actually one of the first movies that Dean Cundey actually shot. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, really? Yeah, before uh, he would later go on to do Halloween. And, uh, yeah, there's some great visual style with the cinematography with this one, especially like that scene where he's, you know, she's watching the dudes work out in that park near the beach, and then it turns mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. There's some weird imagery also in that scene. Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's just a hypnotic movie. And, you know, uh, the main actress, uh, Millie Perkins, who I actually knew her before, before this movie. Uh, she did, she was Anne Frank in The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, the one with, like, Shelley Winters and shit. She was, yeah, that's when I first, because like, we used to watch that movie in school all the time and shit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of cool, man. Great performance, you know. I just love the lead performance of the main actress in this film. So Yeah. Great. What, um, do you remember what year Carrie came out? Because I was going to say, some of the way the camera shots worked when, like, it would focus on her, obviously, her repressed Carrie memories came out coming 76. out. <laughs> okay, this is what says 76, too. Because I was going to say, some of the scenes are shot almost like De Palma-like, you know, the way it cuts through different things. Um, you get lots of, like, the face reactions of one character juxtaposed with, like, different <laughs> things happening with other characters. I, I thought it was uh, really filmed and shot well. Yeah, you, you could tell that there's definitely some influence from a certain director that both directors are probably influenced by and they use some of the same styles and shit. Yeah, it's a, yeah for you, sure. You know, you know. Good movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, we're going to do our final round now of what we watched. So, uh, Venom, what do you got up last? All right. The last one I'm bringing to the table is actually going to be a TV series. This is the latest genre series limited series it's only seven episodes uh and this was released on netflix just last week uh we're less than a week since its release and it is of course the latest uh tv series or you know episodic series from mr mike flanagan the man who brought us the haunting of hill house dr sleep hush amongst many other things his latest series is called midnight mass now I haven't finished it yet. It's a, like I said, it's a seven episode limited series. I have uh, completed three episodes so far, and I absolutely love it. But I love it for almost the opposite reasons that I like all the other Mike Flanagan stuff. Like this movie is not 
um, ultra visceral or, you know, um, there aren't a lot of like visual horrors in it the way, um, you know, the haunting of Hill House was. This one is very subtle. It's basically the story of a man named Riley. Uh, as the series opens, he has recently gotten into a drunk driving accident. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the driver of another car, a young girl, passed away. He is sentenced to four years in prison. Well, he's sentenced to four to ten years in prison, but he basically is a model inmate and is released after four years. Um, one of the things I like that they do with this series is that the town doesn't shun Riley uh, the way you would see in like a lot of movies. And most recently, especially for me and Derek, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, how Tilda Swinton's character is basically shunned by that entire town because of what her son did. Um, this one, though, Riley comes home. For the most part, he's welcomed back into the town. He um, he even reconnects with his ex-girlfriend, who is now pregnant uh, with, a, with a child from a man who's no longer in the picture. Um, and, and the series just kind of goes on from there. Um, some mysterious events start to happen in the town. People start disappearing. There is definitely some kind of... Um, creature if you will in the town that's taking people out mm. at the same at the same time a new priest has arrived in town and within a week of him being there he's performing miracles like legit miracles like there's a character in the show uh, a young black girl who's uh, wheelchair bound she's stuck in a wheelchair has been for the majority of her life ever since she got into an accident as a child and one day in church, uh, the new priest just literally tells her um, to come and get, you know, the body of Christ, the Eucharist. Um, but instead of coming to her, as he usually does, he stands at the altar and tells her to come up. Everyone in the church starts getting offended. What are you doing? That girl can't walk. But then, of course, she ends up getting up, walks up to the altar, climbs up the stairs to the altar, and she receives the body of Christ. And that's basically where I'm up to. So basically our first miracle has occurred um, because of this new priest. And there is something in the town taking people out. That's about all the story I have after three episodes. But I got to say, I'm absolutely in love with this series. And it's the performances. It's the, I mean, this is this is a tour de force of performances. Every single person in this show is amazing. And not to say that I didn't have this the exact same thing to say about Haunting of Hill House, but because Haunting of Hill House is such a visceral movie with ghost appearances and things like that, it kind of keeps your heart rate up. So, you know, that that exciting feeling is always there. Midnight Mass is very subtle, very subdued. You know, every we, we might get a quick scene of an attack, but we don't actually see anything because it occurs in shadow. At least at this point, uh, they haven't revealed what is, you know, kind of haunting this town, what is taking out these townspeople. We do get POV shots. Uh, so apparently the creature does fly. So at this point, you know, obviously vampire is a word that's being thrown around. But like I said, I'm three episodes in. I don't really want to try to venture a guess. I want to go on the journey that Mike Flanagan has kind of laid out for me. So, yeah. Um, after three episodes, like I said, I'm absolutely in love with this series. So if you get a chance, you have access to a Netflix account, check out Midnight Mass, um, especially I, I, if you were a fan of uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, my God. I know what the creature is. Oh, boy. It's is, more, it a, is it a one-eyed ginger? 
It's Morris from Shang-Chi. <laughs> Morris can't fly. <laughs> I love He's him got though. wings, but he can't fly. <laughs> I love him. I bought his stuffed animal today. I just wanted to tell that joke. <laughs> <laughs> of Morris? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going off on a tangent, but yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of Marvel, go see Shang-Chi. It's fucking amazing. That's all I'll yeah. say about it for now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> Um, Anyway, but yeah, like I said, uh, Midnight Mask gets my highest recommend. I personally, if you're a fan of great performances, great dialogue, amazing storytelling, Midnight Mask is the way to go. If you're more a fan of, like I said, the more visceral, visual horror of it all, um, Haunting of Hill House is probably going to be more your speed. But after three episodes, I am loving this show. And all the episodes are out. All seven episodes are out. It's just a matter of me finding the time to squeeze in because they're hour long episodes. So you're looking at about seven and a half hours of total content between the seven episodes. So, yeah, but highly recommend. Check it out. Yeah, I, Mike. Think I, oh, I, I was going to say, I, mm-hmm. I actually haven't watched it yet because, you know, it just came out this Friday. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh I'm curious on it because you know it, it actually the the, the show actually has a connection to one of his previous films with Hush because uh, Kate Siegel's character was a writer and then she actually wrote the book Midnight Mass. Nice. So and I mean, if you if you watch if you're a fan of Mike Flanagan you'll actually see the book Midnight Mass show up in multiple of his movies. I think in Hush you see it. Um, I think in Dr. Sleep, someone's holding a copy of the book Midnight Mass. So, like, there's been, like, two or three appearances of that book. So we're finally getting, you know, the series. Story, yeah. So, awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely have been anticipating it. Just haven't fit it into the schedule yet. And I had I had forgotten whether it was actually like a TV show with multiple episodes or a movie, but that you just confirmed it for me. And uh, you pretty much have me even more hyped to yeah. check it out, which I will probably be shortly because after what we watched to prep for this show, it's, I'm pretty much have a clean slate except for, you know, the one movie I got to watch for Fresh Cut. So I'll be probably checking out pretty soon. Yeah, and again, if you're a fan of Haunting of Hill House, uh, we get some alumni. Uh, Katie Siegel is in this one again. Uh, Henry Thomas, once again, uh, working with Flanagan. So, yeah, um, you know, you get some familiar faces. Um, Even people, obviously, Henry Thomas was also in Doctor Sleep, so Flanagan obviously likes him a lot. And even though Henry's role is a lot more diminished than it was in uh, Haunting of Hill House, he's more of a bit player in this one. He still does a great job. I almost didn't recognize him. The makeup people did a really good job. Like Henry Thomas, it's something about his eyes. Like I recognize those eyes anywhere, but here I didn't know it was him until Mrs. Venom pointed it out. She's like, "That's Elliot." I'm like, "Oh shit!" Elliot, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, check it out, folks. I like it. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, Derek, you're up next. What do you got? Sure. Okay, Mike. Let's do this, yo. Uh, my last movie of the night is actually a movie I just watched today. Uh, if you saw my Facebook posts i have lots of positive things to say about this movie uh and that is the last matinee uh yeah this is a spanish slash uruguay production it's in spanish so venom you might like it oh, i already met, i'm already there <laughs> yeah uh 
Yeah, this pretty much takes place in a movie theater, since the name of the movie. Uh, and uh, they're showing, you know, it takes it's the last showing of the night, or the day, you know. Uh, and, you know, this girl comes to take over for her father, who's the, you know, the lead projectionist, because the other projectionist got out, uh, called out. So the daughter said, I can run the thing. I didn't know you taught me. You taught me everything. Everything I need to know about this. So she t- takes over for her dad, who's like this old guy who, ch- who hides smoking from his family. Like there's a scene later where uh, the you know the kind of guard slash bellboy is like, he passed me one of those cigarettes in your father's drawer, and he has like 16 packs in there of different kinds <laughs> and brands. It's kind of funny. There's some funny humor in this movie. So yeah, there's only a few people in this movie theater, uh, and they're all spread out. So. I'm going to guess that this was filmed during, like, pandemics. That's why there's not mm-hmm. everyone together <laughs> in one scene or close-up. But uh, pretty much, there's a killer that actually is uh, in this theater with them. He actually bought a ticket. That's actually <laughs> a great scene in the movie. And he comes in with this big red buff duffel bag and... Yeah, he's just going around killing them one by one while they're watching this movie in the theater. It's fucking nuts. And, uh, yeah, some of the kills and weirdness of, uh, extremeness of them, you know, like, I don't understand. Because he does it whenever there's, like, a jump scare from the movie that they're watching on the screen. Which, I may add, is a very terrible movie called Frankenstein Day of the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a kind of weird and ironic too, because the director of Frankenstein Day of the Beast actually plays the killer, uh, which is kind of cool. Fun fact. Uh, yeah, like there's just some great gore kills in this, and uh, the thing I like about this killer, he doesn't really have much of a backstory to him. It's all like because it all takes place during this one day, and you know I, I like that we don't get to know like his backstory at all it's kind of like we see what the killer looks like and that's not really what his appearance is but it's kind of cool in that sense where uh when we do find out why he's killing these people uh let's just say he likes to munch on a certain thing i won't say what (laughs) but uh you'll find out when you see it uh yeah, this movie's very giallo-esque. You know, the killer wears black gloves with a knife, and, you know, it's got some cool aspects with that, with red light. You know, it has, like, all those classic Argento slash Bobber lighting colors that happen in it. And there's even, like, a, some cool posters outside of, like, a, a actual, like, matinee room. Uh, like, we see, like, movies like Opera in there and shit like that, so... Yeah, if you like horror movies and slasher slash giallo films set in a movie theater, this movie's for you. It's fun as hell, and only like an hour and 28 minutes, too, so it's a breezy watch. Uh, great kills, some great gore, some stylistic kills, too. There's like, even like a stylistic kill inside a bathroom, which is a weird place to have one, but I liked it. Good stuff. Really dug this one. Uh, yeah, this one's been on my short list for a while. Uh, obviously, when Spanish horror comes out, I want to check it out. But obviously, summer series has taken up the majority of my summer. So 
now that that's taken care of, yeah, uh, this will this will definitely be watched very soon. I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I liked it too because it's not too thought provoking. It's a mindless plot too because it pretty much is a slasher movie. Nice, but it has good <laughs> characters too in it, which I did appreciate. Awesome. No, Mike, you probably haven't seen this yet either. Nope, but you make it sound like I should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff, you got something for our final round? Yeah, uh, but before before we get to that, I just want to say that kind of so- I mean, that movie sounds interesting, and it's one that I do want to check out for sure. It kind of sounds like um, that one that came out. I think it was on Shutter recently, or you know, it might be an exclusive. It was called Porno from oh, yeah. 2019. Uh, yeah, we did yeah. that one. Yeah, it, it sounds uh, kind of similar to that, but I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for any film that's set in a theater. I don't know why. I'm just like, oh, look at that. Inception. It's a movie within a movie at a movie. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Weird. Um, but yeah, so I guess for my last pick, um, I, I'm usually pretty bad about watching recent stuff. Um, and I'm also really bad about watching streaming stuff just because. I I like my physical media, and so I, I I wanted to give this one a chance. It was it was on Netflix. It was uh, Blood Red Sky. Right? Have you guys uh-huh. checked that one out yet? Oh yeah, another yeah. one we reviewed. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. Um. <laughs> so, for me, like, you know, the way the way they set it up, you could, as a horror fan, I guess you could kind of tell, you know, something's gonna happen. Mm-hmm with with her um and you know how she's taking her medicine and all that stuff and the you know the cool part though i i liked about the movie was the kid was kind of in on it and like knew like they you know she they try to make it seem like she's uh shielding him from knowing what's going on but no he he straight up knows and i i liked that part about the movie the only you know it's kind of long and probably didn't need to be as long as it was I think it had over a two-hour runtime, if I recall correctly. And, you know, it it was good. I liked the whole premise and all that stuff. But it, it did... I like my action films, obviously, being a former action podcast host. Um, but this, I think it leaned a little too heavy into, you know, some of the action tropes, especially for the setting of of the airplane. Um, I wanted to like it a little bit more, but I didn't have I didn't have a problem with it at the same time. So, uh, you know the the gore was good. I did like that. Um, but yeah, and and it's pretty new, so I don't I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But what what did you guys think of it? I had a blast with it. I, I really liked it. I am a huge fan of action movies and specifically action sequences that take place in a confined space. I've always adored ever since I saw the hammer fight in old boy. I Ooh, look yeah. for those kind of scenes, you know, confined action sequences. Cause that's like the litmus test. If you, if it's anywhere near what old boy did, then it's quality and I'm down <laughs> for it. Now I'm not saying that this movie is anywhere near old boy. It's not, but some of the action sequences, like inside the plane, I actually did dig. Uh, I, I liked them a lot. Um, I like the basic story. I agree with you that I like that they let the kid kind of in on the secret. I mean, it would be hard for a single mom to keep that 
little right. revelation away from her only child, especially if she's actively raising them. So uh, I did like that um, aspect of it. I, I like the fact that he was very mature for his age. Obviously, he kind of had to be. Because you know he's not only his mother's son, he's kind of a protector and caretaker now as well, making right. sure that she takes her meds to avoid her condition, stuff like that. So yeah, um, as far as the kills, yeah, I thought they were you know they were good action movie type kills. Um, not a whole lot of like like stalking tension type thing, you know, type uh, like slasher aspects to it at all. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, once you get the revelation of what is afflicting this woman. Um, it, it kind of just kind of goes color by numbers from there. And I'm not complaining about that, mind you. Sometimes color by numbers is OK, um, you know. So for whatever it's worth, I remembered liking this one. I've actually watched it again since we reviewed it because uh, I wanted to watch it with Mrs. Venom. And yeah, she she loved it as well. Um, she she really, really loves this particular subgenre of horror. Uh, I think it seems like we're all tiptoeing around the reveal. So I'm yeah. going to continue to tiptoe around it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But yeah, um, you know, Mrs. Venom is very into that subgenre of horror as well. So, and the action really helped, you know, I, I think if anything, the action kind of kind of modernizes the story a little bit, um, you know, especially cause you've got these, kind of paramilitary guys kidnapping a plane or excuse me, hijacking a plane. <laughs> Get over uh, here, plane. I'm kidnapping. kidnapping a plane, whatever it works. Um, so, you know, that element, cause I, I think I even mentioned it during our review that I was actually getting into the first act of this movie before any of the horror starts. This was like a really good hijacking movie. It felt like a really well-made hijack movie, like a, like a passenger, uh, 50, 68, whatever the fuck, 57. uh, 57. Thank you. Um, you know, something along those lines or an air force one, whatever. So I, I was getting into it, but then when the whole, when the actual horror started to occur, I'm like, Oh, nice bonus. So, yeah, for me, this hit on all cylinders. I, I was very into this. Um, once again, as positively as I speak of it, I can't imagine it's going to end up in my top 10 at the end of the year. But for what it was, I had a blast with it. Um, I, I think the performances were fine. Um, you know, good score, good effects, decent fight sequences. There's very little, for me at least, to complain about with this movie. So, yeah, I, I'm very positive on it. Oh, I was just picturing that Bruce Payne was in this movie now as the bad guy. Yeah, like you said, Passion in 57. And I want that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I liked it a fair amount, too. I, I think when it comes to kind of like the action horror genre, there's there tends to be certain things you can poke holes in sometimes with the way things play out. Um, but I, I found it pretty... I like the premise, and I definitely... <laughs> Like uh, the Passenger Fifty Seven premise, like I thought of that movie immediately as soon as it, it everyone gets on the plane. Like uh, it's like vampires. Now we're gonna have a Wesley Snipes crossover taking out vampires <laughs> on the plane somehow. Oh, that'd be um, amazing! That'd be the sequel that we wanted. <laughs> Blade Four: The Flights. Passenger like Passenger Passenger Fifty Seven is Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I recommend people. To, I think it's definitely worth watching, and uh, it was it was a pretty fun movie. I, I think. Oh, you know, you know, it's actually funny. Bruce Payne actually played a vampire in like one of the shitty Howland sequels, so we could have that crossover. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, 
All right, so for my last uh, one, I'll go ahead and go with the TV theme since uh, oh, here we go. I, had a, I had a few <laughs> other things written down, but uh, like Karen, I don't think anyone wants to hear about that. No. I barely even wanted to finish it. So, um, so American Horror Story this season, um, for those that – don't know they decided to split this season into two different mini seasons almost it's called double feature um the first part it was six episodes which just wrapped up in the last uh or the second part will be the final four episodes um so this first season um was kind of uh vampire vampire related um and I, I liked it. I, you know what's funny is like I, I always said like American Horror Story. If you just shorten your season a little bit, it'll help because I always thought that the the story, the way they wrapped up stories, wasn't very strong, and that's usually where the weakness of the season was. It always felt like it went two to three episodes too long. So now we have a six episode story instead of a ten episode story. And guess what? They, they still managed to kind of have a lackluster finale. I, I would say it's not. It wasn't bad. It just felt like they were they were building up something, and, and I don't know the way it, it was almost like a non-ending ending, like an open like it kind of left it open with certain characters. Like, okay, this is what this is what they caused to happen, and now they're just kind of kind of right away into the sunset. Um, and overall, I I still liked it though. Um, but, you know, a general overview basically. Uh, there was a small sleepy like coastal town where uh, there were these vampires almost kind of like not quite like Nosferatu-esque vampires but they were kind of pale bald creepy looking and I take offense uh, to them (laughs) (laughs) apologies for that Um, and vampire right (laughs) show And there's a town, I don't want to say witch doctor, but almost kind of like a modern version where she developed this pill that basically if you have any kind of talent for anything, um, taking this pill basically enhances your talent to where you become like the best at it. Um, but then there's side effects to that, which is basically vampirism. <laughs> and But the, the funnier part, or I don't even know it's funny, but I kind of, laughed because it it happens to a character i won't say which character but pretty much if you if you take this pill hoping to like uh you know be be great at something if you have no talent (laughs) then the side effect is becoming one of those like pale bald vampires so eventually one of the characters um gets talked into taking the pill for specific reasons i won't get into and we get to kind of see like their uh, transformation into that, which it's 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 not really a funny situation, but it, because of the circumstances surrounding it, it kind of makes you laugh anyway. Um, but you know, I, I'm kind of keeping it vague because you know it, it's still the current season of it. Don't want to spoil it for people who haven't either got around to it or maybe haven't got to that part of it yet. But you know. I think American Horror Story being on the 10th season, it's kind of like 
I don't know who I recommend to it to that isn't already watching it, right? It's not like it's a brand new show. You're either you're probably either watching it or not. Most people I know, it's like they, if they're a fan of the show, they'll at least start each new season and either cut out on it when they don't like it anymore or just stick with it. So I don't know if any of you guys even watch American Horror Story. Does anyone on the oh, show? No. <laughs> Quick question on that. So I've I've watched the first two seasons of that show. Um, nowhere near when they aired, just like randomly looking for something and, you know, started it and was like, what the hell is this? Right. But um, it just kind of sounds like, you know, and, and I've kind of followed like, you know, what each season's about, like reading it, but never watching it. But it just kind of sounds like they're throwing everything out there at this point, And it's like, let's try to be as bizarre as we can. Is that kind of accurate? <laughs> um, it, it's kind of season specific with that. Um, I would say... Because, yeah, in the earlier seasons of it, it pretty much... Well, I don't know. Asylum was pretty bizarre, the second one season. Was asyl- yeah, I watched that one. I watched the house one and then the asylum one. The murder house. Yeah. Because yeah. after that, it was like witches, and they did like kind of a circus freak show. I would say like Hotel was pretty bizarre. Apocalypse was bizarre. Um, but, yeah, they're def- definitely each season tries to touch on like a different subgenre of horror. Okay. Um, the... Uh, the previous season of this, um, 1984, I believe it was called, yep. uh, pretty much like followed, you know, like a slasher summer camp. Uh, yeah, that one looked theme. cool. I thought that was like that was like probably one of my favorite seasons because I, I think a big uh, um, a big requirement when you're going to specifically skew a season towards like a subgenre, you want to like capture the aesthetic of it as much as possible. And I thought Summer Ready for really did a good job. And most seasons of American Horror Story, there's a certain point in the story where they kind of flip everything on its head and like sometimes go in a completely different direction. I felt like uh, Summer Ready for pretty much stuck with a consistent uh, arc the entire season. Like it did start getting over the top in some ways, but it, it didn't feel like they deviated. So if I was going to recommend any season to people who haven't seen all of them, I would definitely say Summer Brady Four. And it is very familiar for horror fans, just that an 80s slasher aesthetic, right? With you that know? 84, I did actually catch like the first yeah, like two episodes, I want to say, of that. And mm-hmm. I really did like the vibe it was given. It reminded me of Scream Queens, that like mm-hmm. two-season show that he did. Um, well, that makes and, sense. Yeah, and, same maker, yeah. Yeah, same dude, but... Uh, I'll, I'll admit that's like a guilty pleasure that Scream Queen show for me. I don't know why, but it, I just re- good. I like it. I <laughs> yeah, like I, lo- it. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it. The Scream Queen show is very good at kind of like taking the piss out of that subgenre, but also putting together like a good show. Like it was comedic in ways, but it still felt like there was enough there to be interesting itself, like in its own story. Sometimes I think satires or parodies, they get lost in, or they get so lost trying to be so funny and just like do nothing but tell jokes or make fun of the source material that they kind of, it, it, it feels like better if it was like a 30 minute short, whereas screen Queens actually, I thought did a good job of making an interesting story at the same time. Yeah. Good job, Mike. um yeah with that so that was yeah so that's american horror story at least the first half um probably by the time we record next it'll be halfway through the second part so i'll see if 
if I put that on my list. The second season's going to be like uh, alien related. I think it's like a like a Roswell type thing. It seems like from the preview. Okay, that's what we watched. Um, so what's the so news? Next... Robert is Robert Englund going to appear in American Horror Story or not? I, I wouldn't be shocked. You, you would think, you know, with with all the seasons, he should make his way onto it because he is in Stranger Things. I think the new season. So whenever that fucking comes out, like six years later, when Friend Wolfhawk has hair on his arms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a question. I mean, I guess it could be half what we watched and half news, but I don't know if anyone watched it. Did anybody catch the um, Elvira Shutter special yet? No. I was working. Fortunately. I was at the casino. No, uh, yeah. See, I, I as soon as they announced it and I saw the date, I knew I wasn't going to watch it when it aired because um, the UFC fights, and I knew I was going to my buddy's house for it. And I, I, I actually turned on the app on my phone like at the beginning just to see like what the setup looked like, and I watched like just like kind of five minutes of her. Um, and I've I've been seeing people talk about it on social media, and I, I it's hard to figure it out because I don't know if people just aren't familiar with like her style because it's it seems like the major complaint is like why isn't she just being a female version of Joe Bob and I'm like because their shows aren't the same like that that's not what she is you know that's not what her show ever really was hers was much more like. Um, satire you know yeah. almost like playing like horrible b-movies on purpose and making jokes and like kind of popping into them but i heard she didn't do that with this i don't know if you guys remember her what was it called mystery macabre show or whatever that would come on for years yeah um, where you know DVDs of that. yeah she would do the intro and then why the movie was actually playing like you know she would be super or her head would be like superimposed during the movie where she like pop up every once in a while and make jokes, but she isn't like a, like her show is not set up to be like a scholar of horror movie facts and trivia the way Joe Bob is. And I just found it weird that like people were not happy about like, I guess you've never seen her show before, or you thought it would be different just because it's on shutter. I, I don't know, but it's hard for even me to make a full judgment. He'll actually check it out for myself, which I think um, today, you know, for people listening, they wouldn't know, but we're actually recording the day after it aired. And I think they said sometime this evening or night, it'll be available for on demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just wondering, cause I knew I hadn't seen it. So, nope. um, all right. So news, Robert and Elvira are going to fight in a mud wrestling. (laughs) I guess Ah. a bunch of Joe Bob fans are going to try to fight Elvira. I don't know. Um, I I mean, I guess you could say there's other news with Elvira coming out, um, you know, with her relationship. I'm coming out. I want the will to know. Got to let it show. Yes. I didn't think that was a big secret. Why the hell did I assume that she was a lesbian? 
Like, um, I, she was married to a guy up until like 93, but for some reason, I, it wasn't a surprise to me when it came out. It's like, I, I, cause I, I could, I, for some reason, I, I feel like I've seen a picture of her with a woman, um, in a fairly, you know, like an embrace of some kind. And I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I know, I know maybe I like news or like an announcement, but maybe it was just something that I assumed may, you know, potentially incorrectly. But for some reason, like my, like my wife was the one who actually told me first, she's like, Oh look, Elvira came out. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought she was already out, but I guess I'm wrong. So I always just assumed she was maybe equal opportunity, but I wasn't ba- ever basing it on actual facts. It was just so right. bad. Like back in the day, like maybe internet, what, 1.0 version, probably like late 90s, early 2000s. She actually used to do something really cool where she, and this is before like modern social media. So she would go on like certain horror websites or horror message boards and she would be like, Hey guys, I'm going to like this costume party in the Hollywood Hills and I'm going to live stream it. And she would just like bring a camera or a webcam or whatever and set it up and just like sit there and interact with people and then bring people, different people from the party and just like chat and stuff. And she always came off at those like, Hmm. As Elvira or as Cassandra? Uh, most of the time as Elvira, cause she would dress up for the party, oh. um, as Elvira and, you know, the way she came off always was like, well, I know what's going to happen once the camera's turned off, you know, like, <laughs> but she was always cool. Like, like I thought her personality was really cool. I got to meet her once at uh, Knott's Berry Farm after one of her shows. Uh, my, my friend knew like the GM of the park and they brought us back and let us like do like a 15 minute interview with her. And she was awesome. Like I was kind of starstruck because we to be honest we didn't really have a lot of notice when we got to the park you know the guy was like okay got you guys seats for the show and it was it was one of those things where he's like okay i will see what i can do about you know letting you guys meet her he's like it's one of those things where it's hard to like nail down a specific yes she'll be available so just bear with me and i'll come meet you guys later and like I think the show is over and we were kind of making our way out, just assuming that she's probably busy. It's not going to happen. And then he just like pulls us really quick into the room with like no prep or anything. So luckily my friend had been doing interviews for a long time. because so I was more just like starstruck. Like, Holy shit. So <laughs> <Like, laughs> uh, Um. anyways. Yeah. So I guess that's a quasi news item. Like I, I I don't know, man. It's 2021. I don't even know if that kind of stuff should really even be considered news anymore. I mean, I guess we're living in a better society it's if you and it's not news. It's either that or they're fucking canceled, you know. <laughs> One of the two. Yeah, I'm sure there's like some always like a backlash with that kind of thing, but I'm next, assuming it's a lot next, less than it used to. Time we report this, Elvira has been canceled. You know, like fucking, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Halloween Kills getting released on VOD as well as theaters. Why? I don't know. What What are your thoughts, Venom, on that happening? Poor critical reception. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the leading reason to give, because otherwise, I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, I, I just thought, like, you know, something carrying the weight of the Halloween franchise would be enough to bring out the masses even if critical reception 
Hey, if Godzilla, if Godzilla isn't going to do it, Michael Myers ain't going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Godzilla is about five times bigger than Michael Myers. So literally and figuratively. Yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, the, the main, I think the main thing is the critical reception. Fan reception has been great for the most part, but uh, critic reception uh, apparently hasn't been great. They're not happy with uh, Michael himself, how brutal he is. Um, I, I forget a couple other things that I've read about it. Not that it's really going to deter me from going to see it. I've yet to see the trailer. I don't watch trailers, but I am very excited to see it. And uh, I don't know. I, honestly, I think it's the critical reception because if the critics give it a low enough score, especially the Cinescore, I'm not sure if it got a Cinescore yet. I, I don't think it gets one until it actually opens. But if the Cinescore is anything like a C or below, then it's going to make sense for them to throw it on uh, on VOD because ultimately, not even VOD on streaming on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. No, it's on Peacock. Uh, Peacock. I'm sorry, not Paramount. Um, Peacock actually paid like a hundred million dollars for the rights to air this thing. So, I mean, that's a hundred wow. million dollars in ticket sales that they're making up for. So that's how much they charge me for cable. They have the money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually with these big um, simultaneous streaming and theatrical re- uh, releases, uh, the streaming service is paying a lump sum for that movie. So, I mean, ticket sales are being made up for, but ultimately, the hardcores are still going to go to the theater. I still went to see Godzilla Kong in the theater, Mortal Kombat, stuff like that. The, the stuff that came out simultaneously. But obviously, there's still going to be a certain market that, you know, they don't feel strongly enough to go to the theater to see it. But if it's playing already on HBO Max or Peacock or Paramount or whatever, uh, screw it. Stay home and watch it. So I, I actually think it's a great idea. Okay. Um, I will never watch one of those simultaneous releases at home. I am a theater guy, tried and true. I will never give up on my theater experience. Nothing will ever replace it. Not until I can actually build a home theater, like a legitimate actual theater. But until then, uh, I prefer going to the cinema. So you went to see Mortal Kombat in theater? And yeah, and then I watched it that night at home on HBO. Hey, I, I, my, if it tells you anything, my very first tattoo was the Mortal Kombat Dragon. I got it the day I turned eighteen. So I, I actually don't know your thoughts on that movie, Ben. <laughs> I don't. Well, I, to be as quick as possible, I don't love it. I think the addition of the uh, new character Cole was an absolute mistake. Uh, they've literally got thirty plus years of Mortal Kombat lore to pull from, yet this filmmaker still decided to create a new character because he's got to put his own spin on it. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of the same way, and I'm kind of happy I didn't pay. You know, I would have been a lot angrier at that movie if I did oh, show sure. it in the theater. <laughs> Absolutely, it's definitely. I, I I can't say it's great. Obviously, as a Mortal Kombat guy, I mean, I. Since literally since the day the first one came out in uh, arcades back in 91, I've been a hardcore fan. I was even um, I was the Northeast region Mortal Kombat three champion back in 1994. I was so into the game and so into (laughs) competitive gaming for Mortal Kombat specifically. But uh, yeah, this movie, I mean, I still prefer the original movie because of its camp value. Um, This one doesn't Lambert. Oh, I mean, hey, anytime you've got a Frenchman playing an Asian god, I'm in. <laughs> who, is your, who, who did you use 
You're mostly on Mortal Kombat. Oh, I'm a Scorpion. Oh, Scorpion. I, I, big time. Uh, Scorpion or Sub-Zero, but 90% of the time Scorpion. I mean, I preferred the ninjas in that game, but Scorpion, I'm down with his backstory, which, by the way, they did really, really well in the, uh, and probably the best scene in the movie is the opening scene. So, yeah, um, it, Sub-Zero. Exactly. Awesome. To actually see that backstory play out, because that that is the actual lore of those characters, the Lin Kuei and everything else. So, uh, to see it actually, you know, in front of me played out, I thought was awesome. To see the origin of Scorpion's spear, uh, not spear, but his, uh, you know, his rope weapon, um, just all of it, I thought was great. And then once the title card hits, the movie just kind of goes downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know it's bad when Kano is a better actor than the main character. Oh, Kano stole the movie. Kano mm, absolutely yeah. stole that movie. And that's <laughs> something I was not expecting at all. <laughs> but... but yeah, my, my my point on why I'm thinking why Halloween kill it's a mixture of two things. It's the mixture of what Venom said, the credit score, whenever it comes out, and you know what the credits have been given it, and it's also a mixture of the people not going to they're just being picky choosing their movies that they're gonna risk to go see it because of this fucking Delta American variant that's going on. Pandemic issues, yeah. You know, so it's a mixture of those two things where do I really want to risk a movie, go see a movie that's I'm getting shitty reviews? <laughs> you know, like uh, I can see it, especially if I'm going to go still see it in theaters either way. I'm just giving my examples of why it could be that way, too. You know, you know, and, you know, it's good to have it. I don't mind them having a choice. And, you know, it's good on Peacock for fucking, you know. You get in the competition because the HBO Max thing is fucking kind of working for them because a lot of people are watching movies on HBO Max now, as I see. Yeah. You know, especially when like some of the YouTube reaction channels I watch, they've been watching them and reacting to more movies on there. So it's working. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't mind the option necessarily. I just hope that the option doesn't lead to like fewer movies even being available to go in the theater because at some point, you know, I guess we'll have to, the sample size probably at this point is too small to see what the ratios are when there's a uh, dual release. And I'm sure for certain things like, you know, I think, you know, with comic book, comic book movies <laughs> being as popular as they are, I think those are going to drive crowds to the theater regardless, even if there's the at-home option. So I'm not so I'm not necessarily worried about like theaters not existing. Period. It's just other movies besides those that you know aren't looking at like sixty million dollar openings. It's like okay, it's something that can only get like a ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar opening. Are those always still going to have a place, or are eventually theaters going to be like, hey, it's not even worth our cost and having the theater option because you know 75 percent of people are staying at home yeah. i think can i for oh go, go ahead i just yeah I, the quick thing i just wanted to hit on with that um <clears throat> the whole like streaming and you know movie theater release thing you know you brought up how you know if critics kind of didn't care for it as much you could dump it onto like a streaming platform and 
um, you know, it, it could just it could just be there. I think, you know, for the studio to put out a film on streaming like that, if they're anything like Netflix, you know, Netflix always claims like, oh, it's got the highest views of any of our shows. And you're like, OK, so how many does it have? And they're like, ah, we can't tell you that. Right. I think for the studio, what this will do, if it is, you know, not as good as people are hoping it, it'll give them that option to kind of like smoke and mirror type thing where they're like, oh, man, it's it's getting all these views like, oh, it's 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 the most viewed Halloween movie in the entire franchise, you know, but we'll never know that. And I think that gives them a little bit more. I don't know. I, I don't want to say control over it. it's their movie. They can do whatever they want with it. it I guess it just it, it may it could build it to be bigger than it actually is if if it kind of flops and like they play that card saying like, Oh man, it's the got the highest uh, amount of views for any streaming movie ever. Mm. You know, I mean, there are, um, I actually have a couple of friends at Netflix and there are, there is software for figuring out those algorithms. So they, uh, they actually know specifically exactly how many people watch a movie. They know when you stop watching the movie, if you stop 20 minutes in, cause you didn't like it, they know that. Um, you know, time of day, all of it, like all of that information is incredibly important to the streaming services and especially subscriptions. That's going to be the big one, because whenever Netflix puts out a big movie or a big TV series, they look at their subscription numbers. And if the subscriptions go up exponentially because of that content, that content will continue to be created. Stranger Things is a perfect example. Every time a new season of Stranger Things come out, um, subscription subscription numbers go up 10 to 15% at Netflix because there's people that only watch stranger things. They'll literally subscribe for a month. Um, what do you call it? Uh, binge it and then just cancel it. They still count that number as a positive for stranger things. So we're, we're probably going to get more season as long as stranger things is still bringing in, um, more s- new subscriptions. We're going to keep getting new seasons of it. And th- I think that's a big reason that's a big part of how they call something successful or not successful. Mm-hmm. Like there was that movie. What was that Will Smith alien movie from last year? Right. Yeah. What was it? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That movie was expected to bring in more subscribers, but as it turns out, it really didn't. Um, so that's why they scrapped the sequel. There, there was, some, there was supposed to be three of those movies, if I remember correctly. Oh, thank and, God. And I think they, yeah, because the first one didn't do the numbers they expected it to. We're not getting any any of those sequels. I never saw it, so I couldn't really speak on it. It didn't look like anything that really interested me, so I didn't check it yeah, out. Yeah, I think I think we actually we did like a story related to this like way back on the show where that we we were wondering like why or not we weren't wondering, but there was an article that came out that explained why so many Netflix shows even if they're highly regarded and highly reviewed, why they go away after like two or three seasons. It's because outside of that first season, the second and third season, they don't bring in new subscriptions. Like they'll, they'll get the same amount of watches as the first season, or it might even go up, but it's not, there's not enough new people like purchasing a subscription. So they just cancel the show because new subscriptions is what drives most of the business. I mean, it drives all the business, ultimately, advertising off. Yeah, which is interesting because you would think, you know, I don't know percentage-wise, like, how many households already subscribe to some of these services, but 
man, at some point you're going to think it reaches a tipping point where like how many more millions do you expect to sign up just based on certain shows? I mean, I guess if their revenue grows enough and they just keep putting more money, getting more stars and like A-list celebs and directors and all that, maybe, but there has to be a tipping point at some point, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. In in another why is this even a news item item, why am I getting updates every two weeks about the Monsters house being built for Rob Zombie's months? I, I swear like I thought that um most of these stories were just like, you know, stuff getting reposted because that happens a lot on social media too, where just people that are late to the news will like repost something from a month ago. But these are actually like new stories. Like we all know what the monsters house looks like. If we're familiar with the monsters, there's nothing really any different about this one. Maybe like once it's painted, it'll look different, but they're literally just recreating the monsters house. Yet all these horror sites are like our latest peak at the progress of the monsters house being built. Why do we need that? I, I don't <laughs> understand. Is, is anyone like, excited every time like a new piece of the house is oh guaranteed yes not us obviously but i guarantee there's some hardcore zombie heads out there that are literally sitting on their couch just waiting for the latest tweet or the latest instagram post um you know casting news you know whatever the case may be i guarantee casting news is a little casting news i can somewhat understand because that's going to generate the talk it's but speaking of that has has any of the cast been announced i don't know that any official cast list has been released i haven't been to the imdb page so i'm not sure but i haven't heard anything about it i mean i know i'm not the following one. the story either so i'm probably not the right person to ask i'm assuming if, if you know who gets cast it's gonna be madness on social media because it's like what everyone's expecting but will still be mad when it happens anyway yeah um, and i think initially people got confused because they're also like doing the adams family i think reboot i don't know if that's a movie or they're doing the tv show but Luis guzman got cast and oh yeah yeah that's a weird one <laughs> people were mad but i was like i'm not gonna be mad i love Luis guzman i just don't know if he can do comedy if he can rock on I'm, you know, I'll support him. I just, uh, you know, because that, that's such a great role. You know, Gomez, that, that is an amazing role that. Man. Ah, shut up. No, I don't, no, 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 I'm just saying it depends on how they play it. Cause, oh, absolutely. Know. That's what I mean. No, uh, the right actor can absolutely shine in that role. Now, I, I'm I'm not the person who just dismisses people when casting is announced, you know. I didn't poo-poo Robert Pattinson when I heard he's the new Batman as much as I want to. I won't. Because um, I want to see the I want to see the finished product. I, I want to judge it on the content itself. I don't want to be part of the discussion at this point, you know, like everybody assuming that Cherry Moon Zombie is going to be uh, Lily or whatever. I, you know, yeah, that's probably a safe assumption, but I'm I, I'm still not going to make the assumption uh, just because I'm holding out hope that he doesn't do that. But like I said, um, yeah. Yeah. as far as your original point, Mike, obviously we, you know, people like us who just want to watch the finished product don't care about the update of the set design or anything like that. But I guarantee there are people who do granted. They're probably a younger generation. They're probably not in our age bracket, but I, I still see it. I mean, I, I know on, I have younger horror friends on Twitter 
And I've been hearing about this goddamn Scream movie for like the last three years on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. So sick of Scream 5 talk. Just so sick of it. Just fucking release the movie already so I don't have to hear about it anymore. I just don't release (laughs) it at all. Yeah, that that's fine with me too. But I know Lacey Liu would be upset. So. Oh yeah, she might listen to this. Be like, Derek, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> is there a, like an actual hard release date yet, or is it just twenty twenty two as of now? I thought it was January twenty twenty two. It was January. I, last. I, I don't know about an exact date, but that's what I that's what I was hearing. Okay, well, yeah, at least that's not that far off now. A few more months, Venom, of hearing about it every day. Oh God! Well, it's just, yeah, it, it's like this. One particular girl that I follow on uh, on uh, Twitter who is – she's a podcaster in the UK. Um, I love her to death. She's a lot younger. She's like in her mid-20s. She's very, very young. But um, she – yeah, she is just like on a daily basis – at least four to six tweets about Scream. Ooh, I wonder what they're going to do with this guy. Ooh, I wonder what they're going to do with this guy. Ooh, I wonder if she's going to come back, you know? Ooh, and then candy. Oh, exactly, yes, thank you. Ooh, a piece Ooh. of candy. That's, that's fucking perfect. Ooh, a piece of candy. <laughs> like, Ooh, those are the candy. people that uh, kind of gravitate to- towards those updates that you're talking about, Mike. <laughs> those are the people who are like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this girl got excited if they released, like, an Instagram post of one of the knives used in Scream. <laughs> she, she would fucking retweet it to 12 million people. <laughs> that's fandom for you, though, you know? I used to be like that, too, shit. Uh, you you stick a hockey mask on anything, a 15-year-old me is all over it. Fucking loved it. But, yeah, <laughs> just goddamn. Uh, just I, all I, the screen. I, <laughs> I remember being, I think, a sophomore in high school when uh, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare hit and, like, uh, the trailer released. And, yeah, this was, like, early, early internet. No phones, like, that could do that kind of stuff. Obviously right. not in, like, whatever year that was. But I remember going around... I think it was in my like earth science class and like trying to talk to everyone and about it. And like half the people didn't care, but this one girl Same. was like all into it too. So I was like, hell yeah. And then, then you ended up dating that girl. <laughs> um, did I? No, I don't think so. But <laughs> you can't even remember his conquest folks. I mean, this is probably like 94. You made, so. you made the second base for <laughs> she, she tasted like tuna though. Second nightmare. Nice. <laughs> um, oh, real see. quick, uh, before we move on, uh, back to our scre- our streaming subscriber conversation. I couldn't find too much on Netflix numbers, but I did find Disney Plus. Disney Plus currently has 116 million subscribers worldwide, and that number went up 12 and a half million after the release of the Loki series, the the Marvel uh, Loki yeah. series. Um, so they are paying attention to that information. And I guess if you look hard enough, you could find it. I had to find like an article buried on CNET.com, but the information is out there. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, it's interesting too, because like you would, you don't see these services raise their prices too often. And you usually when they do, it's like by a dollar. So it's not even through the subscription price necessarily. It's just, yeah, new subscribers. Exactly. I know if you want people. Mo- People, you know what you have to do to get people into the theaters now these days? What's that? Adam Morris to your movie. <laughs> so few people are gonna know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> when they do, when they do, they'll know. 
every movie needs Ben Kingsley and a headless chicken uh, dog. Pig. Yeah, chicken pig. Yeah. Chicken pig. That's right. She called him a chicken pig. <laughs> All right, let's move on yeah. before we get everybody sick of our Marvel talk. <laughs> um, I wrote down. I don't. <laughs> I obviously didn't complete this. Tony Todd as Venom. What is this in like a Venom animated movie or a video game? No, it's, it? it's, a, it's, it's a sequel to the Spider-Man video game yeah. that's coming. Spider-Man 2 is going to be out in 2022. Venom will be a playable character, and he is voiced by Tony Todd. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that is, I mean, if you watch the trailer, the trailer, it's like a 30-second, not even a trailer. It's yeah, like, it has, like, Craven the Hunter talking over it. Exactly. But but when, right at the end of the trailer, when Venom starts to speak, it's like every horror fan probably got an erection, because Tony Todd's voice is so recognizable. And I'm like, holy shit, Tony Todd is Venom. I, I think I might have came. <laughs> I think I did come. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, very excited for that one. Uh, my PS5 is ready since I still haven't bought a game for my PS5, so maybe that'll be the first one. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited for that. Yeah, the the uh, other Spider-Man game was actually pretty fun. Like, oh, that, great! That's yeah. the one that came in my PS5. So the downer in and oh wait, you got Miles Morales, right? Yeah, that's this isn't a sequel to that one. It's a sequel to Spider-Man, the game on PS4. Oh. Miles Miles Morales is like a side story to that game. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, it's still. I would imagine it's still mechanically going to be about the same. It's made by the same studio. So yeah. Blah blah blah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, Very excited. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only the only other thing I, I wrote down for news is that they're doing a Lost Boys reboot. Uh, um, nothing to be surprised about. I mean. It'd be great if it was just a reboot with chickens, though. It's funny. I for, I, for, I actually forgot to mention uh, when I was talking about Nightbooks uh, during the What We Watch that there are multiple Lost Boys references in that movie, including a cover of Cry Little Sister, um, multiple shots from the film, like on TV sets throughout the movie. And then one of the characters in the movie even says... Uh, the words Lost Boys. Uh, I forget what context it was, but yeah. So if you're a fan of Lost Boys, uh, it's another reason to check out Nightbooks. <laughs> Hell yeah. There you go. That's but cool. yeah, we don't need a goddamn remake. I mean, listen, we all know the way I feel about remakes. When they're announced, I always poo-poo them. I'll still watch them, and if they're good, I will praise them. Like I said, Evil Dead 2013, one of my favorite movies of all time at this point. Um but it's just every time I see a reboot, a remake, uh, a reimagining, whatever, I just feel like originality dies more and more in Hollywood every time. And it, it sucks because some of the truly amazing original horror films that we got in like the 70s and 80s, like that day is over. It doesn't seem like we're, we're still getting some directors that are pushing the boundaries. Obviously, some people will talk about James Wan with Malignant, but. I mean, just, yeah, we're solidly in the age of remakes and reboots. And like I said, I always shit on them when they're first announced, but I'm still going to watch them. And if they're good, I will absolutely praise it. And if they're shit, like a certain Black Friday or no, Black Christmas 2019, I will make sure everyone knows exactly how I feel about it. Yeah, I wanted to hear more about this Black Friday movie you're about. Oh, to Black Friday. Awesome. <laughs> we, we love Black Friday. <laughs> 
and, that, and that James Wan made that awesome remake of Basket Case. All right, guys. <laughs> Basket Case meets the Matrix. Woo. Meets Maniac Cop. Oh God. <laughs> or Scanner <Yes>. Cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh man! When when that thing just started doing kung fu, I was in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I kind of I kind of take a wait and see approach on remakes uh, or and reboots. Oh, sure. It's kind of like not worth getting mad about. It's not worth writing them off. I just I don't get excited, but I don't get mad. It's just kind of like okay. At this point, it's expected that everything's gonna get remade and a reboot and. I don't get hyped. It's just kind of like, well, I'll see what it's all about, and when the time comes, I'll probably see it because chances are we end up covering it on fresh cuts. Oh yeah, you know, unless horrible. unless it's some like micro budget movie that we have no interest in even touching, but otherwise, we're likely going to cover it anyway. So I just, oh yeah, yeah, um, we'll it's, see. I, I, my my general philosophy is like I. I I don't I'm not opposed to retelling stories because most movies period are retellings of previous stories. But I'm just like, but you can retell a story without doing a straight remake. I mean, that's what I tend to air on that. Side. True, like, yeah. Why, why not just take, well, the, take the base of the story, take like the skeleton of the story. If you want to remake it, give it a whole nice new shiny coating, change the names, change the title, blah, blah, blah. Which is, like, since Malignant's so new, I mean, that's kind of an example of doing that. And then it doesn't mean, like, I loved Malignant, but you could see pieces of other movies in there, but still making its own movie. Like, sure, Juan could have just said, I'm going to remake Basket Case and, like, do it exactly like Basket Case, but but no, he took elements, but most movies do that anyway, so... Yeah, that, need to that, yeah, yeah. definitely is the best movie. Let's, let's not compare, guys. Okay. Come on. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> well, you know I hate James Wan anyway. I know, I know you're not a fan, whereas I am a fan, and well, <laughs> it left me a little sour. But overall, I did enjoy it. I, I definitely don't want it to sound like I hated it. I didn't. I actually, especially the first watch in the theater, I was having a really good time with those action sequences. But then when I rewatched it at home, that's when problems started to develop. And, you know, that's where the majority of my critiques came from. Overall, it's still a very fun movie and should still be watched by every horror fan. There's enough new stuff in there that I think people need to check it out. If if at the very least for what he does with tone and tension in that movie. Yeah, his, his second best is Aquaman with the octopus with the drums. I might agree with I might agree with you on that one because I I love the trench sequence. Like that, yeah. that shit was almost a horror movie down there. That was yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I guess even bringing up that kind of like quote unquote news item, we got like a mini burning question that Don suggested. Don and Ellie in the and chat. We got the and we got the title of more comic book stuff, which is yeah. one that you love, Mike. You know. <laughs> um all right so yeah as far as news that's really all i had uh, the only thing, I, I got one little item and before i even get into it uh, i gotta caveat this by saying that i don't agree with this but it's something that's being talked about i know last year when when the movie sinister was kind of declared the scariest movie of all time based on science 
Um, you know, there was a big fervor about it, you know, uh, people agreeing with it, people disagreeing with it. Um, first thing that I need to explain to you guys is how they did this study. For those who don't know, they basically hooked up heart monitors to, you know, a certain number of horror movie viewers. And then they showed them like 20, 30, 40 of like the top, you know, horror movies of all time. Uh, they measure their heart rate. And what the whole point was to find out what the quote unquote scariest movie of all time is. As of last year, that was sinister. Um, you know, like I said, based on the heart rate monitors and the average uh, elevated heart rate throughout the film. Now, the reason that I disagree with this is because, in my opinion, there's a difference between being scared and being startled. A jump scare startles you. Um, I mean, it, it would be the exact same as if somebody just walked up to your face and clapped their hands right in front of your face. It would startle you. You wouldn't say that you're scared or you're fearful. It would well, be startling. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, but your heart rate does rise when you're startled. Fear is a sustained thing. It's more about building up tension and whereas a jump scare just releases that tension. So anyway, I, I got to caveat this by saying that I 100% disagree with them calling Sinister the scariest movie of all time. I think ultimately any of us who've seen more than 50 horror movies in our life probably agree with that statement. Um, but anyway, the point, uh, the whole reason I'm bringing this up is that we have a new number one. Uh, they once again did that study for this time for 2021. They did it earlier this year. And just this week, the results were released. Sinister is no longer the scariest film of all time based on science. It is now the found footage slash Zoom movie host from 2020. Uh, apparently, that is the movie now that elevates people's heart rates, um, you know, to an exaggerated level. Again, I agree that Host is a fairly scary movie, but scariest movie ever made. Uh, I'm going to vehemently disagree with that. But I know that this is something because of when the news came out for Sinister last year, it turned out to be a topic in the community. And literally the news just came out, I believe, like at the end of this past week, that Host has kind of taken over that spot now. So do with that information what you will, listeners. I don't agree with it, but, you know. There it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a thing, man. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing that people talk about. So why the fuck not talk about it here? So, Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> Wait, how how long have they been collecting this information? Oh, they just started that in 2020. Yeah, so, so there's a survey thing. You go, they actually pay you to go watch these yeah. movies and they yeah, test your results. Wind, they hook you up to an EKG. Um, they might hook you up to other diodes and monitors too. I'm not sure. I, I know that the heart rate is obviously the biggest thing that they're monitoring. Um, so like I said, yeah, they're, all they're really measuring is how often you're startled and your heart rate goes up like, you know, to 150 because you were startled by something. But I disagree with that equating to fear. So, but that's a conversation. Hey, maybe that'll be a, a burning question someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like how do you define different elements of, fear or being yeah. afraid because like, I, I think yeah i don't um, think it's the honestly like you can't put parameters around what is fear fear is subjective what scares one person doesn't scare somebody else so um yeah i don't think you'll ever be able to actually measure fear and as far as a scientific method for measuring the scariest movie of all time now nah, i call absolute bullshit on that bullshit artists bullshit artists <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I would assume you also have to break down the demographics of who's signing up to do these as well. 
Uh, is it is it younger audiences that haven't anybody seen, can sign up like other movies? I'd like to Do think it. that they have a broad age range. Hopefully, they're not just doing it with twenty somethings, because uh, then Slender Man would have been the scariest movie ever made. <laughs> but when you when when you sign up, is it like okay, here's like ten movies from different oh, decades, different so subgenres? Because like how yeah, they choose the movies. I, I forget what the list was. I think A Quiet Place is on there. Well, so. yeah, it's like thirty to fifty of what's what are considered the scariest movies ever made. So you'll have like Exorcist in there. Um, you know, uh, the ha- the original haunting, and then the more modern stuff, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, blah blah blah. Um, you know, I'm sure they've got some obscure titles in there too. But yeah, that's pretty much all they're doing. They hook you up to an EKG, you sit there, you watch the movie, they measure your heart rate. Um, the funny thing is too is that that could be even false as well because I don't know about you guys, but there are times when I'll just be more into a movie. Like I like I'll watch the same movie, let's say a year apart. And what, like if I watched it in 2020 and I have a certain reaction, you know, that might be my standard reaction. But let's say I watched it again in 2021 and I was in a better mood. Let's say I was maybe inebriated a little bit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly um, the movie works for me more as far as like its fear factor and things like that. So yeah, I call complete bullshit on this study. There are so many variables involved that they could never ever in a million years pinpoint the actual, you know, scientifically the scariest movie ever made. It's just absolute BS, but Hey, it's good. It's good news fodder for the horror website. So whatever. So, so I call bullshit artists, bullshit artists, bullshit artists. Uh, well, I, I got one news story. Oh, okay. Well, as you guys, well, Mike should know because he's not a collector. So, Mike, you're out of the story for a minute. Uh, <laughs> cool. Vinegar uh, Syndrome does their half off the Black Friday pre-order, uh, where you could order whatever's coming on their Black Friday sale. That now pre-order it now, so you get a better chance of getting some shit. Uh, I did mention that uh, one of the titles that was announced was the 4K slash Blu-ray UHD uh, sensor, which is going to come in a nice hard box edition, uh, kind of like their Beastmaster 4K that I, I'm thinking. And the other 4K that they announced is uh, Andy Warhol's Flesh for Frankenstein. <laughs> And stunned in 4K in either 3D and 2D prints of the film. Uh, so, yeah, getting that. And they did their uh, bundle, uh, which they only announced two titles for that. One of them was Flesh for Frankenstein. The other is William Malone's Creature from 1985, Ooh. which is finally getting its Blu-ray debut after being on bootleg DVD for years. Uh if you haven't seen this movie, uh, William Malone, of course, was the director of like the House on Haunted Hill remake. Fear.com. Yeah, and he did uh, sent, uh, Scared to Death back in the early 80s. This was his follow-up to Scared to Death, which is it's kind of like an alien ripoff with a weird cast. It has the dad from Ferris Bueller in it. <laughs> and, of course, out of nowhere comes Klaus Kinski, who's nice. being... And he's very rapey in this movie, if you haven't seen it. Because uh, there's, like, this butch, like, like uh, woman security officer. And he just starts grabbing her ass and shit. <laughs> it's, it's I, don't think, I don't think Klaus Kinski could not come off rapey. 
But it's like it's one of his more rapier performances, especially with the shit he does on set and shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? But uh, it's a cool little creature feature. You like alien like type movies. It's fun, the song. Yeah, very, very, you know, I think maybe, maybe, not sure what, because they said it was going to be like a big, like, splattery good movie from the 80s that, from a certain country, was this, so that's kind of the hint they gave in the other one. Also, a big, more obscure title from the 80s, which they kind of do. It's Vinegar Syndrome. But, yeah, you know, I I only pre-ordered the one movie. I'll see what comes out when, actually, the Black Friday sale goes live. But, yeah, because, you know, they had, like, that flash pricing on a few of them, too, so. Oh, did they? Shit, I missed it. You could still probably maybe get it. I'll check. Yeah, you know. But, uh, yeah. So that's about it for me. So you come back now, Mike. <laughs> All right. Thanks uh, for uh, giving us the update on Collection Corner with Derek and Venom. <laughs> and Jeff. Jeff's a collector, too. Oh, and welcome newest member to the Collection Corner, Jeff. Yes, I <laughs> um, I know it's random to ask you, Jeff. Any horror news you're thinking of or have in your head that you want to share? Um, I guess back to the streaming thing, not to talk about all the same stuff, but, um, unless I read it wrong, I, I thought I read that they were doing another paranormal activity movie on, yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's going to be on Paramount plus. Yeah. Oh, that's I what I was thinking already... of with Paramount plus. I knew something was coming to Paramount. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, and then the, I know what you did last summer series for, Amazon Prime, I want to say. Making Mike watch that somehow. <laughs> oh man, please don't, please don't figure out a way. I'm just gonna choose it as my main topic for an episode, and me and Venom won't watch it, but we'll make you watch it. I'll just start a It'll podcast like, about it and have Mike guest. Uh, yeah, exactly. There you go, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know what I made you watch last summer. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah, I um, haven't seen those since I like, first released. How do you, what do you guys think about either of those, not to drag out like the news, you know, if, the if that's what I'm doing. But yeah, well, the idea of um, another paranormal activity and a TV series for I Know What You Did Last Summer. Well, for whatever it's worth, Paranormal Activity is a franchise that really lost its way towards the end. Mm. I, I'm a big fan of the first like three, um, I kind of like four I kind of like the Mark ones, but then the last couple just, yeah, left me real. And then the last one, uh, the ghost dimension, I, I literally left the theater angry. I was just, I was pissed off. I'm like, really? We finally get to see Toby and that's what you give us. Fuck you. So yeah, I, I, I lost a lot of faith in that franchise. Now, obviously uh, they're supposed to come out with a part seven. If they do it, I will still watch it. There's still, I still have enough good faith in that franchise that I'll, continue to pay to see them it's not like the hell the hellraiser franchise hellraiser franchise has completely lost me they're never getting another dime of my money um luckily those tend to come out straight to video so it's not like i gotta go to a theater (laughs) new one's coming to hulu yay it's directed by david bruckner oh can you can you sense my excitement the guy who directed (laughs) the ritual so is this is the New paranormal activity that's coming out, is it 
like a brand new is it like more of a reboot or it's is labeled it? paranormal activity seven if you go to the imdb oh, page it's called okay. seven i don't know if that's going to be its final title it could just be a working title right now but the imdb page does say paranormal activity seven so because i almost would prefer like you said i i kind of hold the same opinion that other than the marked ones, which I think was a kind of a good diversion from like the main yeah. story that was going through them all, I definitely felt like by the end of it, it showed that it was the end of it. Like we don't need to keep making these, or at least with this storyline, because of where it kind of went, just underwhelming conclusion. So I, I'd almost like welcome them just saying, okay, same principle style, but let's just either move on to like a new cause of the entity or just unrelated to yeah, the I would, same cult or whatever. I would say, like uh, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, it looks like they re they, you know, gave it another name now from seven. It's listed under paranormal activity next of kin. Oh no. So based on that name, I'm guessing there's some reason or like, you know, some way it's related to the other six. Also a two hour runtime. Oh, oh no! Wow. It's gonna be a lot of sleeping in that movie. A lot of standing <laughs> over beds. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't understand. I, I'm with the fast forward time counter. They're gonna do it for like twenty minutes at a time. <laughs> Unless it's like it's a crossover with next of kin with Patrick Swayze. He's the, or the Aussie yeah. next of kin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Mike. I if they just abandon Katie's family, Toby, all of it, and just start from scratch. They, you know, you don't have to call it a reboot. Just say it's another story, another family in another city. Start over and go back to what made the franchise great. Just simple hauntings, you know, um, bumps in the night, things like that. That's what worked for the franchise. For my money, once they introduced the coven, like the whole conspiracy with all the witches and, and the deal that they made with Toby, that's when the franchise lost its way. It got yeah. too big for its own britches. And, and wow, did I just age myself with that statement. <laughs> Which yeah. is funny because I totally agree with you when normally I'm super into like, you know, the coven cult kind of sure. that kind of stuff. But it didn't feel that it belongs in a paranormal activity movie. One of the things I like about the first three to varying degrees, because I don't like all three equally, but mm -hmm. it was the fact that they kept it very simple. We're not going to try to make this story some, you know, super layered convoluted thing It's just simply uh, um, some type of entity messing with these people. And we'll do like the different scares that it would cause. But other than that, you know, we're not getting some super drawn out explanation. And it just seemed like as the franchise went on, they felt the need to, you know, let's add in this and this. And no, you don't do that. They just made up for all the drawn outness with just having people sleep in beds. <laughs> as, as people might guess, I'm not really a fan of these fucking movies. <laughs> so I don't give a fuck either way. <laughs> well, I, I, th I think when it comes to the paranormal activity movies, whether you like them or don't, it's not the type of, I guess, well, at least what it's sorry, it doesn't seem like the type of story or movie that should have a franchise necessarily in the first place. It felt like a good one-off, and they managed, like, I actually thought three, I think it was, was better than two. So they managed to get more life out of it than I would have ever expected. But, like, four, uh, I've only seen most of them. Four's my time. favorite one. <laughs> oh, man. With I, the Xbox Connect in it? Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> so bad. I, uh... 
I, you know, I liked, you know, one, just because it was interesting or whatever. I mean, it's it wasn't something that I'd say, like, I don't know, I guess, you know, everybody could watch it and probably get something out of it or hate mm-hmm. it either way. You know, two was fine. I liked three and four was kind of another whatever. I liked for for some reason, I, I really liked the uh, marked ones. Even yeah, though me I, too. But, you know. The six bad, and I, I'm I'm curious kind of to see where it goes. Um, the only thing I'm re- I'm jealous of all these people because even with all these ghosts and spirits or whatever in their house, they sleep through the night. Me, I wake up randomly and can't stay asleep. So <laughs> all I feel is jealousy. <laughs> I like it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the other franchise you mentioned, I am not the person to ask. I only saw the first. I know what you did last summer. I'm not a fan. I never watched another one. So, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm not a 90s kid enough to really like that franchise. I think they're very trashy horror movies. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 I'm not going to say they're great fucking movies, but I laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, like the one that I watched, I'm not going to say is terrible. It's it's not. It's a, it's a solid movie. It's just not for me. For whatever reason, the first time I saw it, it just didn't hit me right. And I've never really just I've never gone back to the franchise. Urban Legends is another one where I watched the first one. I was like, eh, that's OK. And never checked out any of the sequels. So. Uh, a lot of 90s slashers are what I refer to. And I can't remember if I used the term on the last episode of this or if I said it on one of our episodes of Fresh Cuts. Flown heads. heads. Uh, 90s slashers, to me, a lot of them are like just. Uh, purely like date movies like they they have all the familiar faces that probably people that age are watching on like their favorite tv shows so you you know you go to these as a date and they're pretty much designed just to be part of your date night and never think about the movie again i mean there's just not much to them it doesn't mean you, you might not enjoy some of stuff that happens in that 90 minutes or whatever but to me it's not the type of stuff you revisit i mean i guess the first Scream would be an exception. No, I'd rather watch Urban Legend than Scream. No. Yeah. No way. Hell yeah. no. Scream's a fucking overrated movie. Well, okay, I'll say this. Without without breaking all these down, because obviously that would be its own discussion, I'll just say, to, to me, Scream falls in the same category as, like, you know, all these other 90s slashers. Just, I guess there's... there's Whether Scream is better or less. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, ultimately I'll give Scream its credit where it's due. I'm not a big fan myself. I like the first two for the most part. The next two didn't really do a lot for me. Um, But I will admit um, I'll recognize their place in history. Let's say that. Uh, That first Scream movie is a very important movie. You know, it brought... It brought big Hollywood horror back to the theater, um, at least in a big money-making way. You know, not to say that theatrical horror ever slowed down or took a pause, not at all. But Scream definitely it brought a whole new generation into it, into the horror genre, and I'm okay with that. Um, ultimately, I, I don't have as many problems with the movie itself. Um, maybe one or two of the characters maybe kind of rub me the wrong way, but I like I said, I'm. I'm at least smart enough to recognize its importance in, uh, you know, in the community and I'll respect it for that. Um, I'll let Derek know how it is. Yeah. Derek <laughs> will not be a guest on that episode of fresh. Cut. I doubt it. <laughs> Lacey's going to message me later. If she ever hears this. What is 
win. <laughs> That'd be awesome. She's like, we're covering it on there here. You have to watch it. There you go. Fuck. You're ah, like, I'm not going to be here. Scream retrospective. <laughs> well, I, I did do Scream 3 with the teapots. Yeah, okay. I mean, at least, the, you know. It has Duncan. James Allen Bob in it. Oh, that's valid. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's been so long. All right, Mike, uh, what else we got? I think that's going to wrap it up for news. Um, I don't really have a official burning question for this one. I was just going to ask because by the time this episode is probably out, we're going to be really up against the beginning of October. So I was just going to see if this year anybody had like October plans, like anyone doing like a 31 for 31 me personally i haven't done that in a long time just because it's hard for me to like like commit the time to do it ahead of time knowing for sure i will have time to do it so other than like just a normal like there's always movies i'll specifically watch maybe during this time more probably closer once we get to halloween as opposed to just all of october um but uh venom i guess i'll start with you are you doing any type of stuff i mean the first The first couple of years that I podcasted, I did try to do that, a 31 for 31, um, where I pre-planned all the movies. And I, I after doing that one October, I said I would never, ever do that again, because ultimately I, I'm, a, I'm a very weird and fickle person. And if I decide that I'm going to be watching, say, Texas Chainsaw on Tuesday, if Tuesday rolls around and I'm not in the mood to watch Texas Chainsaw, I'm already breaking my, you know, my list or whatever, my plan. So I, I still watch multiple horror movies every day in October. I'll always feature one on my Facebook and Twitter page and, you know, talk about it very briefly. I'll try to find an alternate, an alternate poster for it. Something people haven't seen before, uh, just to put up on my social media. But for the most part, I'm not planning all 31 of my watches. Cause like I said, I'm very fickle. Um, you know, my favorite food might be pizza today and tomorrow it might be Chinese food. I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of guy that's constantly flip flopping with stuff like that. So I will absolutely be watching as much horror as possible. Um, I plan on going to uh, Universal for Hollywood Horror Nights at least once, probably later in the month. Um, I'm not sure as far as any other extensive plans. Like The biggest thing for me is I like to find uh, movie screenings uh, during October. Like um, like back in 2018 for the 50th anniversary of Night of, Night of the Living Dead, I, you know, I was able to go to a big screening in a cemetery. You know, it was it was a really cool event. That's the kind of stuff I look for. I'm not really a big party guy. You know, everybody knows I'm the old man of the show. I'm not much of a party dude. I, uh, I'm not much into necessarily dressing up. But um, when it comes to both horror screenings and then going to Hall- Halloween haunts, I am there absolutely. Um, haven't been to a hayride in a couple of years, the haunted hayrides. I used to like those a lot, but over the last couple of years, I kind of find myself going and obviously last year there weren't any, uh, because of the pandemic, but I would imagine this year there'll still be a few, but yeah. Um, I, I guess the short answer is after I give you my long assed answer, uh, my short answer is I don't have any major plans other than movie watching and trying to find some like anniversary screenings in theaters out here. What uh, haunt are you most looking forward to this year? 
Um, I mean, Universal is always the best one just because they have the most money to put into it. They always oh, no, have no, the- I meant like specifically at Universal. <laughs> oh, um, honestly, I'm not sure. I haven't actually even looked at the list of attractions this year. So I'm not doing Exorcist, but I don't know the full list. Exorcist all the time. Yeah, I've I've done the Exorcist maze a couple of times. It's probably one of my favorites. Uh, The Walking Dead one from 2017, I believe, was really, really well done. Uh, They did Clive Barker's Nightbreed, what, like in 2018, I think. That one was pretty cool. But the Exorcist is probably my favorite, ultimately. I'm just waiting for when they do the porno Holocaust hayride. Well, when, when they did the uh, American Werewolf in London the year I went, they did do a mock-up of the porn theater in it, which was cool. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, you, you entered through, like, the slaughtered lamb entrance, and then, like, each room was, like, a different scene from the movie. It was really cool. Uh, Derek, you got any plans for October? No, I already pre-recorded all my 31 days of horror. Ah! YouTube. YouTube channel? Yeah. Cool. Did oh. you have, like, a theme to what No, you I watched? just watched what I wanted to watch. Nice. That's, yeah, that's probably the best way to do it, honestly. Oh. Because I did that last year and it almost killed me. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I and and then I the, I also tried to do themes, you know, like I would try to do like thirty one days of horror movies I've never seen or something, and it's it's not easy for somebody like me to find something that I've never seen at least readily available streaming, you know. Um, you know, obviously, I've got friends with Plex uh, servers that help me out a lot with that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it, it, whenever I put a theme to it, I, I, I feel like I'm just forced to watch that. Like, you know, be it favorite directors or, you know, one year I did vampires. I literally did an entire October of vampires. And, man, I wanted to kill myself by like <laughs> October 20th. As much as I love vampire movies, goddamn. Uh, if you watch the same thing for too long, it wears on you. That's oh, imagine sure. if you watch 50, 31 Mummy movies. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been fucking... You would have found Venom David, <laughs> David Carradine himself in his closet. <laughs> Mummified yourself halfway through the month. Jeff, how do you handle the month of October? Do you do anything specific? Um... I, I've been doing the 31 for 31 for a while now, but, you know, I'm kind of where Venom's at, where, and I, I guess Derek as well, just kind of watching whatever, because I, I've, you know, I write out like a whole calendar and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. And like day three, I'm like, that movie's so stupid. Like, I'm not going to watch that. Like, there's there's no point even trying to pretend I'm going to watch it because I know I just won't pay attention. So. I, you know, I try to make a list, but by, like I said, by day three, I'm watching whatever I want. And, you know, watching, you know, whatever you want, I, I find it easier to fit more movies in that way, too. Because sometimes you, you're, you're trying to challenge yourself with like a set list, but, uh, you know, you, you could be tired after like getting through a, like the trudge of what, watching one or something. I don't know. It just, it's easier to just do what you want. Absolutely. Oh, oh also, uh, Point, uh, speaking of movies coming to theaters, Evil Dead's coming out from AMC through Family Events October 7th. Yep, I will be there. What is it, like the 40th anniversary? Yes, sir. Wow, that's nuts. You feel old yet? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I I saw that movie in theaters. Think about how old I feel. (laughs) <laughs> it's my first time seeing it in theaters because I wasn't born yet. Nice. 
Yeah, I think I was. It's a good theater one watch. Years actually. I, th- I think it's a fun. I- I've seen it a couple of times since then in the theater. It's a fun theater watch, especially if everybody in the theater is into it. Then it, it just turns into Rocky Horror. It's great. <laughs> oh yeah, the the few times I've seen it in the theater, it was pretty much at like the the local film festival where you know everyone there's seen it multiple times. There's crowd interaction. Like it's one of those festivals I would not recommend going to if it's your first time seeing something. But otherwise. Yeah. Definitely. Um, as far as like the October 31 for 31, the the last time I even did something even close to that was, I believe, when my youngest daughter was born and I took a month off work to kind of help out with my wife at home. And I was like, yeah, I'll watch a horror movie a day. And luckily, I didn't stick any theme to it. It was just like, you know, wake up, got nothing much to do that doesn't involve being around the house what do I feel like watching today? And with that system, I didn't find it very hard, but if I had to like only do a, a certain subgenre or theme, I could see like, you know, after 10 days being like, all right, I'm modifying this plan. <laughs> it feels tough. And I, I totally get it that it's the, I'm, I'm just like you guys where it's like, uh, it's something looks good written down. And then a week later it's like, yeah, I really don't feel like, watching this much anymore and unless it's porno holocaust well there's never a bad time (laughs) for that (laughs) ever (laughs) 31 days of just that movie (laughs) fuck yeah different reviews each day of it i've changed my arm just gets bigger and bigger (laughs) (laughs) all right well with that said, I think um, I'm going to wrap it up for that segment, and we're going to actually take our hard break for the show and be back with a couple of movies, which I don't even think we mentioned what we're going to be covering. And Derek, yeah, are your mention, picks? I, so yeah, I can mention let that, us right. know. Yeah, we're going to be talking about some 1970s UK horror films that I don't think get talked about as much on shows. And uh, we'll get into that in a minute. We're going to be talk, talking about... 1972's Tower of Evil and 1974's Frightmare. And, uh, yeah, we'll get into that once we get back after this. Secret, won't it? You, you, you won't tell. Go back. Who in their right mind would even go to this island? 
Would you go there? Evil. I get feelings of evil from this island. Would you dare spend the night in this monument to the macabre, in the Tower of Evil? Stop playing around, man. Her brain has become overloaded by the horror of what it has done or seen. Snape Island never brought anything but unhappiness, tragedy for anyone. If the girl didn't murder those kids, who did? Somebody else, obviously. But who? There was nobody else on the island, was there? Huh? Was there? Well... What's the matter? Can't you hear it? Listen. That's not the wind, is it? There's only one way into Snape Island. There's only one place to go on Snape Island. But there are infinite ways to reach the next world in the Tower of Evil. This means we're completely cut off from the mainland. The boat's gone, now the radio's gone. One way in, and no way out. It even looks as if we shall all have to spend the night in the Tower of Evil. And yeah, we are back, everybody, with the first movie, The Night. We're going to do this thing chronologically. Mike off air is like, which one are we doing first? We'd always do it chronologically, Mike. You know this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about 1972's Tower of Evil, uh, directed by Jim O'Connolly, who's a director who actually, I actually know a few of his movies, and I think Venom might know one of his other movies. Uh, he directed uh, the movie Berserk for a few years earlier, which is kind of a proto-slasher, too, in its own right. It stars Joan Crawford. It has a carnival setting. Uh, mm. It's kind of cool. It's got, like, Michael Goh in it, too. It's, it's a cool little movie uh, where a killer is going around picking off people in the carnival and maybe yeah. connected. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I think the uh, only movie I'm familiar with this director is uh, the Valley of the Guanji. I think. Yeah, which, you know that's going to be connected to our other show too, Venom. Yeah, you know, we might cover that one day. So we might be talking about <laughs> uh, Valley of Guanji, which is the Ray Harryhausen. Yep. Uh, kind of western mixed with a dinosaur movie, which I actually a big fan of. It's actually one of my favorite Harryhausen movies. Yeah, I like it. And uh, Tower of Evil is a a film. Actually, I should shout out my, my buddy Rob, Robert from Georgia, uh, VHS Collector eighty two on YouTube. Uh, you probably heard him on a few episodes of like a when it was known as Bay of Blood. You know, mm-hmm. it's now known as the Graveyard Shit Podcast. Uh, <laughs> still weird name change. I don't get it, but <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> But he's been on a few episodes of that. He was on the episode of 22 Shots before. Uh, yeah, uh, Rob is a big fan of, like, island horror movies. Like, uh, 
uh, I actually gave him a shout out when we talked to, about Anthropophagus back in the day, mm-hmm. on one of our early episodes, and you know, like Island of Terror. Uh, you know, he, he 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 likes island horror movies like Shockwaves is another one he always talks about. Mm-hmm. He always gravitates to like the island setting of the movie, and uh, I like that movie, this movie for this reason. Uh, we'll get a little bit more in a minute, but uh, a little plot synopsis from the IMDb: A group of experienced archaeologists are searching for an old and mystic. Wow, that Phoenician. Word. Phoenician. There we go. Thank you, Venom. That's what you're here <laughs> for. Phoenician treasure. When they are surprised by a Mysterious and mysterious murders. Mm-hmm. I'll get my thoughts off uh, this movie real quick. Uh, this movie is also known as Horror on Snape Island in some regions. Uh, yeah, I, I love the setup of this movie because, you know, the setup is... This movie's set up like it's kind of a sequel to the previous movie in a way. Uh, because it sets up with these two fishermen going to the island... And the remnants of, like, a slasher movie that already happened, pretty much, <laughs> which, you know, it kind of has that, that flashback sense of, like, Friday the 13th Part 2, mm-hmm. where we get to see what happened on the island a little bit later in the movie. And then we have a final girl, too, uh, who ends up killing one of these fishermen brutally, <laughs> kind of anthropophagus <laughs> style, too, where the lady comes out of the wine jar and stabs that dude. It's kind of reminiscent. Well, that that scene's kind of reminiscent of the scene that's in this movie because this movie came before. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I like the mystery of this one because it's kind of interesting because the aspect of the island setting, and I like that the killer or yeah, well, we'll get into it in a minute. They use different weapons here and there. I like that aspect of it too, and you know, the aspect of you know, this group of scientists slash treasure explorers trying to see what happened on this island and maybe find some lost hidden treasure on the way, too. And what the third act happens, and uh, some, you know, when you think you, the movie's over and then the reveal happens later on, mm-hmm. uh, it come kind of inspired, this movie kind of inspired a certain 80s movie that, everyone kind of talks about it from the aspect of the reveal of that one. And it was done in this movie first. And I, I think this movie is important for that reason alone. And uh, I'm going to go on people's thoughts now. Uh, let's start with our guest. Jeff, was this a first time watch for you? And what did you think of Tower Evil? Yeah. Um, so this one was a first time watch for me. Um I remember, I can't remember, well, so I lie, so I said I remember, then I said I can't remember. Um, I think it was Scorpion releasing that put out the Blu-ray here at one point, and I remember seeing the poster and thinking, like, oh, man, that looks like something I'd love to watch. Uh, never never found the Blu-ray or whatever, so, um, you know, tracked down this copy to watch, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I had kind of mentioned it to you previously it, it sort of it sort of felt um kind of like a procedural in a mm-hmm. way kind of mm-hmm. like you know here here's this and now we're gonna go over this clue and that clue will lead us to this thing and we'll follow it to this thing and then we'll find out what happened um i i kind of like that about it honestly 
like and like you were saying <clears throat> it's um you know proto slasher um it almost has the jalo-esque feel to it as well which which i kind of dug so um overall the story's pretty simple which i think is cool like for this type of film um <laughs> i i love the scene where they're trying to figure out like what what happened and they have her in that room with like the computers and the flashing lights and all mm -hmm. that <laughs> i <laughs> old technology that is supposed supposed to be like advanced technology i always i always like to see that in movies that's why like old sci-fi stuff's like some of my favorite um <laughs> just those bright lights and everything and she's just kind of screaming but uh you know it's simple like i said and you know it, it works um i i would recommend it but that's about it nice uh mike well, there is a tower, and there is some evil in it. Um, now, uh, the first lesson is, man, she should have just smoked pot with her friends, and she everything nope. would have turned out okay, right? <laughs> that That's the number one lesson, just give in to peer pressure and smoke. But, uh, yeah, I liked how this movie played out. I, I kind of like the mystery to it. I do like the island. I, I love, like, the kind of like the early... Uh, boat journey to it. it it made me think of like the opening to the lighthouse when uh we're getting the guys in the boat and you're get, kind of getting the shot of the lighthouse getting closer and closer through the fog and it's just kind of giving you the feeling of like okay impending doom is on the way in this in this movie um i like kind of I, I like the story to it uh how they were on there to look for treasure of course and things never go as planned uh i thought the the design of i guess the creature thing <laughs> they were uh pretty grotesque and cool like especially for that era i was trying to make out like just what the hell's going on with them it's like the hills have eyes people ended up on this island somehow <laughs> I, I guess but uh you know just to keep it short and sweet to open it up yeah this this movie was fun um and i like the characters characters they were uh, a lot of free love and drugs and it was just missing the rock and roll i guess but uh, had the other two elements going on for it a lot venom tell them what it is man well <laughs> uh this is a first time watch for me um i had heard of this title but never got around to watching it and I got to say, I genuinely enjoyed this movie. I had a really, really good time with it. I um, I enjoyed the mystery of it, um, you know, not tipping their hat too early. Um, in fact, like the, the biggest reveal of the movie is literally like in the last like five to ten minutes of the film, which is kind of cool. So, um, uh, yeah, I definitely did not see that reveal coming, even though it is a very, very reminiscent of a certain Linda Blair title from the early 80s. And that movie, of course, is Hell Night. Now, um, I don't know how spoilery we're going to get with this. Obviously, it's a 1972 movie. This movie's almost as old as I am. But um, you guys might remember the major reveal of uh, Hell Night. If you mm -hmm. haven't seen it, I won't say what it is. But if you have seen it, 
then you kind of already got a pretty good idea of what Tower of Evil is all about. Now, mind you, before I watched Tower of Evil, I, I was a big fan of Hell Knight. I really, really like Hell Knight. Now, I'm not going to say that I dislike Hell Knight now, now that I realize that their story isn't nearly as original as I thought it was when I first saw it. Even recently, I watched it less than a year ago after I picked up that Scream Factory release, and I still, to this day, love that movie. But yeah, after watching Tower of Evil and realizing that they almost stole their plot for that movie, like, all, I wouldn't go so far as to say line for line, bit for bit, but, I mean, all the major aspects are there. It looks like this movie greatly, Tower of Evil, that is, greatly inspired Hell Knight, so take that into consideration before you get into it. But yeah, as far as Tower of Evil goes, um, one of the things I was wondering is why is it called Tower of Evil? Like, I understand that there is a tower on this island, and that's kind of where the original family lived, but it felt like it should have just been called Island of Evil. I know Island of Death was already taken as a title, so... Um, but yeah, it just the more I think about it, like the tower wasn't the catalyst of the evil on that Island. There was a very specific, you know, reason for all of the deaths on the Island and they don't really have anything to do with the tower, but you know, that's a minor nitpick, honestly, who cares? Um, I like the characters. My God, are there some beautiful women in this movie? Both our movies this week have some beautiful seventies women in it. I could not get over like, and, and this one, this uh, movie especially has probably what four or five of uh, actresses in it. And they are mm -hmm. all young and beautiful, like, you know, kudos on the casting with this one. Um, but yeah, um, the, the Island scenery was really, really nice. It was a nice locale to shoot at. Obviously, when you're when you have a nice scenery, um, you're going to get some decent cinematography, which you get. Um, what's funny is that the most striking shot of the movie for me is the very first shot of the film. It's the title card. Um, that shot of the lighthouse kind of sticking out from the fog on the island. Um, it's very menacing, very like you just look at that still image and you know you're up for a pretty good horror film, you know, Um so, yeah, I, I do like a lot of the island cinematography throughout. I have no issues with the performances. I don't remember rolling my eyes at any line deliveries throughout the film. For the most part, I was okay with everybody's decision. Um, obviously felt bad for, if you will, the first final girl, you know, the girl who survives the initial attack that occurs before the movie starts. Obviously feel terrible for her. Um, even as I'm listening to the doctors talk about her, one of them actually said the line, uh, Oh, where is it? I wrote it down. Her brain short circuited. Ah, is that a medical term, sir? <laughs> her brain short circuited. Yeah. So that kind of bothered me. Um, I, I was hoping that wasn't going to be an indication of what I was getting because that line is very early in the film. Luckily it is not. Um, the dialogue for the most part is crisp. It's organic, very believable. Um, yeah, overall, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I just wish I hadn't seen Hell Knight first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I get you with the title, because uh, this is weird. Uh, I actually, before the Her Horror on Snape Island title, it actually makes yeah. more sense. Because that's where, you know, Snape Island is where all this horror is happening on, you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's weird, because, you know, there's some when this movie was re-released in, like, the early 80s, it was actually marketed as the fog too in some circles. 
Interesting. That's that's incredibly incorrect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were some foggy scenes in here, but it's not like that. Like in the movie, the fog, aside from what's in the fog, the fog itself is a character. It, you know, the, the way that Carpenter shot it. It, it, it literally the fog in itself is a character here. It's just a backdrop, you know? So oh. I'm very, very glad I didn't see this as the fog too. <laughs> and, well, well, I stand correct. It was known as beyond the fog. Beyond Ooh. the fog. Okay. There that's, you go. that's not awful, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, a little connection to the movie, uh, the, the, the first final girl, Candace Glendannon, uh, she actually starred, same year as this uh, in the the Flesh and Blood show, which is a film directed by the director of the next feature we're going to talk about, Pete Walker. Uh, and cool cast, cool cast, because a lot of like the act, the female actresses in this movie actually starred in horror movies. Like uh, the girl who plays uh, Rose uh, was in uh, Home for the Holidays, and uh, what the fuck was the other movie she was in that I knew her from? Let me look it up real quick because I'm curious. That's oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, she was in uh, It with Roddy McDowell and uh, The Freak Maker, which is a freaking weird fucking British movie with Donald Pleasance. Kind of oh. doing like Island of Dr. Monroe experiments. Yeah. yeah. And a uh, good cameo by Dennis Price, who uh, plays uh, Blakewell in the movie, who's the guy who's kind of like, not he's kind of the guy who gets like this expedition going, and the, he's like the older gentleman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, you probably know him most famously because he was the main character in uh, uh, that Kings and Cornetto movies you guys just covered. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Theme Warriors. Yeah, yeah. This movie is really you know good character actors like even like Hamp. He's he's a character that mm-hmm. you know he has like that face like I've seen that guy in other movies. It's just good casting all around with characterizations. Now, it, yeah, I I do like the twist because it kind of explains some aspects of like the flashback scenes a little bit more. Like why is this person getting killed the same time this person is? Yep. You know, and you know it's like he's not like Michael Myers where he's like super. No, but it actually explains that plot point to me a little bit better because, you know, Uh in that sense. Well, you know, what do you guys think about the reveal? I think, you know, spoilers, if you haven't seen Hell Knight or Tower Evil, 3, 2, 1, go. (laughs) Because I I want to talk about it. Jeff, what Uh, do you... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. (laughs) No, I'll piggyback on what you said. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, man. When they revealed that there was a second killer, I was like, yeah, go movie. <laughs> yeah, especially you know because all through the movie they're telling us that Michael had died, that Saul's son, you know, had died, and that that's what kind of drove him to insanity or whatever. So we, I definitely wasn't looking for that, or I wasn't expecting it by any stretch, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I just wish I hadn't seen Hell Knight first because, like, the first time I saw Hell Knight, that was, like, a huge reveal to me. I'm like, holy shit, you know, they got us, you know, with the extra killer, blah, blah, blah. But 
here it's like when it happened it didn't hit me as hard i still found it to be cool don't get me wrong especially the way they looked like i i thought saul and michael's kind of design was pretty cool um you know kind of saul was more obviously a human looking like he wasn't as mutated or deformed whereas obviously michael was very mutated and hence why they probably told the town that Michael had died just so that he could avoid all the ridicule and everything else. So, you know, it, it, it all makes sense. And like I said, when I, I feel like if I hadn't seen hell Knight, I would have absolutely adored this ending. And I, I still kind of do. I still, especially because it comes a solid 10 years before hell Knight, I'm very okay with um, how this ended and, you know, the actual surprise factor of it. I, I I really did like this movie. I liked it a lot more than I expected to. That's for sure. Yeah. It, it just adds a new flavor to it, especially when you're looking at like these proto slashes from this time period, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of has like a different flavor to like some of the standard ones that we would get, like, you know, like, you know, different, you know, like more of like the Giallo base ones where it's just one killer and you know some shit like that like even like uh the guy this guy did berserk and there's one killer and that it's kind of adds a little flavor absolutely and and it adds like you know even like going back to like looking at the family picture it kind of reminded me of anthropophagus in that way too because there's a scene where they look at george (laughs) like a picture of george eatsman and his family that's right (laughs) you know so you know anthropophagus kind of borrows from this movie heavily too <laughs> Maybe it's the same island. And you know, like when I saw Saul, I'm like, damn, Zach's in this movie. Because <laughs> he looks like our friend Zach from our chat. <laughs> ah, that's funny. With beard and all. all I was great. thinking, when I first saw him, I thought it looked like uh, um, ow, the guy from, uh, God damn it, Jethro Tull. Uh, the main, <laughs> it looks like him covered in slime. That's what it looked like to me. Oh, that's one of them to start singing Bungle in the Jungle with a flute and shit. <laughs> that was fucking amazing. Definitely. And, and of course, Michael's the one-eyed ginger. Yep, the one-eyed ginger. No, that's not a penis joke. He's actually a one-eyed ginger. <laughs> because all you see is like this big, big, giant red beard and red hair. And you don't really see that he has eyes, and then you see this one giant fucking oh, eye. Yeah. Fucking guy's a cyclops. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. And then, he, you know, it's like he gets this caught on fire, and he's just fucking burning. Like the, It looks kind of like uh, when that one dude gets burned in the thing before he jumps out of the building. Yeah, yeah. I do wish they had more of Michael. I, I, because we get the reveal and then he dies almost right away. I would have liked to have seen maybe even just one more chase sequence with him, you know, going after the final girl or whatever. Yeah, just a little something, a little something for us to kind of digest the reveal that we just got before, you know, Michael is dispatched. Um, that's probably the one thing that Hell Knight maybe did a little bit better with their ending is that once yeah. they got the reveal of the second killer you know, we get a good few scenes with that killer as opposed to this one. But, you know, again, minor gripe. Not not that big. Yeah. Yeah. But I did like the design of Michael. That's why I would have liked to have seen more of him. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely plays in with the, the film setting, too. Where, you know, there's, there's not really a lot of places that run through that fucking place where they're at, you know? Yeah. Well, do they tell us where they are? Do we know where they are? What part of the world they're in? Uh, Spooky Island. Snake Island. 
I think they said it was like off the coast of like uh, the UK. UK. Yeah, yeah, it's like in the middle of like UK. Because it's kind of weird that there is a Phoenician treasure on this island. And for those who don't know, we are saying Phoenician, P-H, not Venetian, V-E-N-E. Obviously, Venetian is a means, you know, something that comes from Venice, Italy. We're talking about Phoenician, which is, um, for those who don't know, uh, I'll give you a quick history lesson. Uh, Phoenicia actually is a country in the Middle East. It's now known as Lebanon. And um, uh, because of how they revered gold in Phoenicia, there's a lot of Phoenician like artifacts that are made of solid gold. Uh, The movie references like swords and helmets and things like that. Um, So that's the treasure that they're looking for. So just in in case anybody sees this and they hear the word Phoenician, they're not talking about Italians. They're talking about Middle Easterners. So there you go. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I actually studied like the Phoenician art and Phoenician um, uh, architecture for a short period of time in uh, in college. That's why when they first mentioned it, I'm like, wait a minute, if we're in the UK, how the hell did Phoenician art and treasure get all the way out here? They don't really explain it to us, but it's not that big a deal. I'm uh, sure it's like secrets or something, whatever. Yeah, it's it probably like, you know, like, because they kind of explained like, there was a bunch of boats and shit and with these guys going around to different places hiding the shit. I think that was like a plot point in the movie. Definitely. You know, yep. you know so I can see it. And, you know, England is very close to Italy, so maybe it was like on the, the border in a sense, or it's like in between. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, we just got to take a grain of... It's like how Indiana Jones travels these places and it takes them five seconds. Yeah, exactly. The you know, cinematic passage of time, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's something that we forgive in the best movies. And then in the movies that aren't so great, we nitpick about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And if I can, you know, uh, I got to talk about this cool scene where uh, I forget which chick it is. It's the one who gets her head chopped off, though. She actually... You know, they have, like, a prosthetic head when, you know, it's rolling down. But they actually use the actress's real head when it's on the floor. Yeah, that's right. I did see that. That was funny. That was kind of cool, actually. I was kind of impressed. Um, You know, it's a decent decapitated head scene for 1972. Not that that we see the head get decapped, but I'm saying, like, the actual head already off. It's it's not terrible. Like, when it's going down the stairs or whatever. Yeah. Um, What's always kind of interesting about this era of movies, too, especially in the horror genre, is, like, how open and more casual attitudes get on with, like, sex and drugs and all that stuff. Obviously being, like, you know, the fall, like, the post-60s kind of generation. Because now, you know, most of these people, you know, everyone's referring to as boomers because, you know, they're in their later stages of life, but... Really, this generation was kind of what set the table for, like, the changing, more modern Mm -hmm. attitudes. It's just weird to think about now because it's been so many years that you go to – I think a lot of times when you show younger people movies from what they think, it was like, oh, my God, way back in, like, the 70s. Like, what is this going to be like? But then you look at the stories and how the characters are and how these type of scenarios play out. And it's like, yes, they didn't always have the technology to make things look like they do now, but – 
as far as the actual content of the stories and the characters and stuff, it's it's like pretty like risque stuff. Yeah, you know, it's still it's still a little over the top. I mean, Nora literally has sex with Brom with her husband right outside the tower. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's I mean, he could he could if she were a screamer, he could have heard it. So, I mean, that, that that's some ballsy shit. Obviously, um, you know, they kind of show us that Nora and her husband don't really get along very much. So maybe the maybe the marriage is over for all intents and purposes. I don't know. They don't really say that specifically. Um, but yeah, the fact that she has sex with Brom and her husband is like 50 feet away. I'm like, wow, that's balls right there. Oh, no. Oh, you mean the guy that's not even really her husband yet? Cause he's waiting to get a divorce. Cause she's, he's waiting to get a divorce oh, from his right, actual right. wife. That's what I mean. So they're not even married and she's already treating him like shit. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but good on Brom though. Yeah. I, I was cheering Brom on I, that. That woman was a beautiful milf. Hell yeah. Old Brom. Hamp <laughs> was proud of his nephew that day. Oh, I, 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 I couldn't imagine. Yeah, but uh, man, but yeah, overall, really good time. And and yeah, Mike is correct. It, it it is definitely a time capsule. It definitely gives you a little bit more of an idea of like the you know society's kind of how they looked at sex and drugs and relationships in the early seventies. I mean, obviously in seventy two, I was two years old, so I don't have any direct memory of it, but. Um, you know, my mom's told me a few stories, uh, you know, from like the late 60s, early 70s before I was born. And yeah, sounds like uh, they, they knew how to have fun, too. <laughs> yeah, especially like, like once we get into the next movie, Pete Walker made his whole career about exploiting that shit. There you go. Because, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get into it when we get into my history with Pete Walker. But nice. I'm excited. But uh, yeah, Tower of Evil, I definitely recommend it. It sounds like everyone else does. I say check it out. Uh, it, it does have a Blu-ray, a new Blu-ray from Scorpion slash Kino that you can get on Amazon Prime right now. Ooh. So check that out. And uh, yeah, I actually have two versions of this movie on Blu-ray. Nice. That's how much because I have the UK Blu-ray of it because uh, I was in the same boat with Jeff. I didn't have that uh, uh-huh. old Blu-ray that Scorpion put out, but they put out that new one recently, and yeah, looks great. Is it I the watch. same cut of the film on the two versions you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, totally okay. just different special features. I'm, I'm kind gotcha. of curious, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why I picked up the other one because it was different. Like historians talking about the movie. Gotcha. Yeah, it's good stuff. But yeah, check it out. It's good stuff. <laughs> Guys, ready to talk about something completely different? <laughs> oh, Monty Python. I'm in. <laughs> UK <laughs> reference. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. 1974 Frightmare. Like I said, directed by one of my favorite directors, Pete Walker, uh, who has a very interesting film career in general. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen a Pete Walker movie, they're kind of sleazy. They kind of have some of the sleazy aesthetic to them. Uh, the film he did same year as this is House of Whipcord, which is about girls getting abducted and put into like this weird prison setting where they get tortured by uh, the same actress who plays uh, the main character of this movie, Sheila Keith, who's in a majority of Pete Walker movies. She, she was in everything up to his last movie, which was a, a very iconic movie from the 
early eight, 80s known as the House of the Long Shadows. That's my favorite Pete Walker. Love that movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, mine's oh, House of Mortals. You've probably seen a lot more than I have. I, I could probably only pick out three or four Pete Walkers that I've watched. Yeah, yeah, Sex for School's pretty sleazy because it's kind of like a porn. He did some mm-hmm. porn. Uh, House of Whipcord's pretty fucked up. House of Mortal Sin, which is a very interesting movie, which I might cover one day, is actually a movie about a priest going around killing people in the name of God. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> it, it's very anti-religion. Let's just put it that way. Uh, Sounds Walker, like it's right up my alley. Yeah, uh, Pete Walker definitely has his... Schizo is pretty good. It's kind of like his take on Psycho. Yeah, I've seen Schizo, yeah. And the comeback's probably one of my favorites. That's kind of like an uh, interesting one where it's about like this uh, singer that's, you know, like a pop singer who had a shit, like a few records. That's why he's, he's going to like this house to record his comeback, hence the name of the movie, The Comeback. And while this is going on, there's actually a killer going around killing people connected to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, all these movies star Sheila Keith, who uh, plays uh, the main woman in this movie. Now let's get into Frightmare. After escaping a death sentence for her hideous crimes, a seemingly rehabilitated woman settles in an isolated farmhouse with her husband, only to ache once more for blood and for a crash course in surgery. Is indeed her old self back? <laughs> stupid. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a stupid synopsis, because there's a lot... Bit. Yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that, I would say. Uh, yeah, this movie stars Sheila Keith as Dorothy, and Rupert Davies as her husband Edmund, who... Back in 1957, were arrested and trialed for multiple murders, and uh, they were put away into an insane asylum for 30 years? Uh, 15. 15 years, okay, yeah. And uh, and they just were released. Uh, Jackie, who is Edmund's daughter from a previous marriage, I think, mm-hmm. is taking care of the little sister, Debbie, who was, didn't actually meet her parents at all because she was a baby when she was, uh, they were arrested. So she was put in orphanages, then Jackie got custody of her after a certain time period to look after her sister. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Dorothy is definitely not fucking sane, as we find out right away. <laughs> And shit goes down, and I'm not going to go first. We're going to go in opposite order. So, Venom, Frightmare. All right. Well, uh, just a quick story about uh, when I first saw this. This this is one of the first horror movies I had ever seen as a kid. Um, I, I may have told part of this story before on episode number one when we covered the uh, Romero, uh, the original Romero zombie trilogy. Uh, Back in 1979, my parents bought our first VCR, and we bought it from an appliance store that also had a small uh, video rental section. 
literally, this is 1979. So, I mean, there was like literally maybe a dozen movies total to choose from on VHS at the time. Um, the very first movie that we rented, which we rented the day that we bought the VCR, was uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Um and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, and it pretty much made me the person I am today because nine-year-old Mr. Venom absolutely loved Night of the Living Dead. It gave me nightmares for multiple nights after that first watch. That just – it totally changed who I was, and I'm very thankful for that. The second movie that we rented, believe it or not, was a little movie called Once Upon a Frightmare – which was the American title for this movie. That's why when Derek brought it up last week and he said Frightmare, or last episode, I I was almost positive it was the same movie that I watched, but then once I saw the cover art, uh, when Derek sent us the pictures of the cover of the two movies, I was like, yeah, that's the movie. But I, I was so sure that it was called Once Upon a Frightmare, and then I looked it up on IMDb, and yes, that was the American title when it first got its VHS release in 1978 or 9, I believe. So, uh, so yeah, this is like the second movie, the second horror movie I ever watched at home and the second movie I ever watched on VHS. So, a yeah, little short story there. Um, the long and the short of it is, though, when I saw this movie in 1979, I did not like it. I thought it was dull. I thought it was boring. And honestly, I don't even think I understood it. Like I said, I was only nine years old, probably had no idea what cannibalism actually was, you know, other than what I saw the previous night on in Night of the Living Dead. Um, so I probably didn't quite get the entire grasp of this movie. So this watch is actually my second watch separated by what? Uh over 40 years so it basically was a first time watch but as i'm watching it scenes are starting to look more and more familiar and yeah it's definitely the movie that i saw um i am definitely a lot higher on it now uh after second watch i still have some pacing issues with the movie i feel like it slows down drastically in the middle it's like we get the cold open with the parents in 1957 being tried and then committed together, which, uh, which is, uh, God, it's so silly. People don't get tried and committed together. You know, married couples that are found guilty of murder aren't sent to the same prison or the same mental institution, and they sure as fuck aren't getting the same trial. So yeah, uh, suspension of disbelief aside, they're, you know, sentenced to their time in a mental institution. And then we get the judge saying a line that we'll hear later in the film that will actually resonate much more powerfully at the end, where he basically says, I, I'm sending you because of the heinousness of your crimes. I'm sending you to a mental institution and that I, as a representative of England, will assure or guarantee, I think was the word he used, that if they are ever released, it's because they can be viable members members of society, blah, blah, blah. That exact line is echoed at the end of the movie. Once the movie's completely over, right before the closing titles uh, start playing, we hear that little piece of dialogue, which is obviously way, way more powerful at the end of the movie, because, I mean, you could make the argument that she's worse after her 15-year stay at the mental hospital, because they actually, they only killed six people back in 57. Here, they I mean, she's talking about how they've been she's been killing pretty much since they got out 
of the mental institution. So we never get an exact number, but we do see a scene in their barn where they've got like a few bodies piled up. And obviously throughout the course of the movie, you know, they kill like three or four more people, blah, blah, blah. So obviously the, uh, the uh, UK mental health system has failed the public uh, once again. Um, I, um, I don't know, man. I, I really wanted to like this movie a lot more. I didn't dislike it. I didn't, but it's one of those things that as you're watching it, there's so many frustrating scenes like early in the movie, the attack on the bartender, which actually turns out to be a much bigger plot point as the movie goes along. You know, when, when you're first watching it, it looks like it's just a random attack. Young people attacking a bartender who wouldn't serve them in a club because they're too young. But then obviously um, that attack has a lot more weight to it once we get to the end of the movie and find out what Debbie actually did to the body. Um, but yeah, um, you know, we get more reveals. I like the pace of the reveals. I, I may not have a big um, love for the pacing of the film. Like I said, it, it tends to slow down drastically in the second act. Like right when the uh, when the psychologist boyfriend kind of enters the picture and he's mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's going on, it kind of slows the movie down. You know, we, we don't get a whole lot of horror scenes in the second act. Um, it, it turns kind of not quite a police procedural, but it has the elements of one because, you know, uh, the boyfriend, uh, I forget his name, Graham, he is a psychologist and, you know, he hears the story from Jackie and on his own, he gets more information about her parents, where they are now, blah, blah, blah. Um so like I said, that kind of slows the film down a little bit, but it definitely picks up again in the final like 10, 15 minutes, um, which are basically all at the farmhouse. Graham has obviously gone there to interview uh, Jackie's mother to find out, you know, if she's still potentially doing the things that she was sent away for. Uh, Graham, unfortunately, gets his answer in, in the form of a drill to the face. Uh, that's that's kind of a question I have. Why the drill? Like, they're killing these people and eating them, but the only indication that we get that they're eaten is trauma on the face. Like, we never see, like, a limb or an arm, you know, or, like, a leg hanging around or a refrigerator full of meat. Uh, literally, all we ever see is trauma to the face. So, apparently, these people are eating faces. Okay, I'll accept that. I know in the animal kingdom, faces are usually the first thing that uh, animals go after because the eye sockets and the mouth are the softest part of our body. So they tend to go after the face first when they find a dead body, blah, blah, blah. So I guess in that aspect, it's kind of cool that um, mom, uh, Dorothy, is kind of animalistic in the sense that she's eating faces. But like I said, there, there, there's a lot of plot holes in here. You know, the fact that they're supposedly eating these people, yet they're pretty much fully intact, like their bodies are fully intact when they find them in the barn is a question. Um how did Debbie find out about her parents? Like we don't get any information. Um, one of the reveals in the movie is that uh, Debbie, Debbie was basically born right before the parents were sent away because they were, they were institutionalized for 15 years. Debbie is 15 years old. They say it in the movie. She's 15. So literally she never met her parents. They gave birth to her um, and then had, and, and then got sent away. My question is how old is Jackie? Because Jackie doesn't look that old. Jackie looks like at the most she's early 30s. 
So that means that Jackie must have been 16 or 17 years old when uh, these two people got sent to the mental institution. And then she's handed a baby and told to take care of it. That seems odd to me. Well, she didn't take care of it right away because she was in an orphanage for a while until she was old enough to get custody. Right. Ah, but it just it, it's a it's a weird one, though. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I would have liked to have seen a little bit more background on Jackie. Like what happened with Jackie when uh, her father and her new and his new wife got sent to prison? Like, you know, I, I just would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. Um, just to get a little bit more backing on why Jackie's so passionate about all this. I mean, it was very obvious what was in those parcels that she was taking to her mother. Um, It's just incredibly obvious. Like the movie is almost heavy handed in that aspect. Like as soon as we see that package and we see blood dripping out of it, it's pretty fucking obvious what's in there. And it's also pretty obvious why she's bringing it to her mother and why her and her father are secretive about, you know, what the plot is, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, the, the movie is a little too heavy handed. Like there's not really a whole lot of reveals. Like once we get the reveal at the end, it's not a surprise. And then once we get the reveal of Debbie and what and the fact that she's kind of falling in line with her mother's activities is also not that much of a surprise once we actually get that reveal. It's like, well, duh, you know, she's she's you know, Debbie, the younger sister, has been like a delinquent the whole movie. She's 15 years old. She looks like she's 19. You know, she's fully developed. She's dating bikers. I mean, you know, she's not. Uh-huh. She's eating bartenders faces. <laughs> she's eating bartenders faces. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, after we get the reveal of Debbie and the fact that she's also a cannibal, that whole scene just is weird to me. The attack scene, because it's like they attack the bartender, they beat the shit out of him, and then she tells them all to leave that she'll get her own ride home. So you're telling me that a little 15 year old girl that's about 90 pounds dragged this guy's body into a trunk and then took him somewhere to eat part of his face. I I don't know. It, it's one of those suspension of disbelief things that's a little, it's a little too much to suspend. But again, 1974, I'll allow it. You know, it's not like this movie is a masterpiece by any stretch. Um, but I will say, uh, just to kind of cut this short, uh, I, I liked it a lot more now than I did when I was nine years old. Um, I actually understood everything that was going on. I don't really agree with a lot of the decisions made in this movie. It seemed like both Jackie and Graham had multiple opportunities to just walk away and not be a part of this situation. But both of their curiosities basically got them killed for all intents and purposes, you know? Um, so yeah, decision making, maybe not so great overall. I did enjoy the movie. It had some decent gore. I'm not going to go so far as to say good. I'm going to say that it was kind of decent. Um, you know, like I said, some good head trauma here and there. Um, one pitchfork attack later in the movie, uh, looked halfway decent, even though we don't actually see any entrance wounds. Like we don't see the pitchfork actually physically going in. But we do see, you know, a a nice juicy kill throughout that scene. So overall, I enjoyed the movie. I can't say that I loved it um, specifically for pacing reasons and tipping their hat a little bit early, like not dragging the mystery further into the third act. But overall, still had a pretty good time with it. Definitely worth watching. Yeah. Mike. 
Well, Venom had so many thoughts it covered most of mine too. Yeah. But uh, I will say this was this was a first time watch for me, and it kind of gave me a little bit of uh, Housebound vibes Ooh. to it, just with like the family dynamics and kind of you know as uh, the murders start piling up, and obviously we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And once we get the reveal about a cannibal granny, and <laughs> then you find out like the rest of kind of like the mystery and what all goes into it. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting, pretty fun. Yeah, I, I agree. There's not a ton of gore, but what we do get is done up pretty, pretty well. Um, I do like where things went in this, but man, shadowing a lot of venom. I, I think this is a movie too, that would even get better on a second watch. Once you kind of know, all the uh, story kind of going in, all the reveals and and whatnot. But I had a fun time watching this one. And Frightmare is always like a movie I, I had known that's been out there. And for whatever reason, I had never watched it before. But now I see that was a mistake. I should have watched it a long time ago. <laughs> um, I, I do think there's some dry wit comedy in this movie. Like I would not call it a horror comedy necessarily or at all but there's you know some of that just kind of cheeky british humor going on um where they're not they're not literally telling jokes but it just kind of like the demeanor on some of them during some of the dialogue just kind of comes off of that dry dryish humor um but yeah frightmare i did enjoy it a lot yeah, I was going to say that, too. I forgot to mention, this movie is incredibly British. I mean, Jesus. To the point where I actually thought at times they were parroting um, British people. Like, especially Debbie. Like, the way that she would talk when she was yelling and getting upset at, at a situation, it literally sounded like a, like a Saturday Night Live character making fun of an English person. Like, this movie is, it's so incredibly British, you can smell the tea and crumpets all over it. So, yeah, go in with that knowledge, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, you know, Venom covered it pretty well. There's just a couple other things I wanted to um, kind of mention. This poster, um, the poster movie cover, you know, whichever, with the, the lady holding the drill on front, mm-hmm. uh, it's one that it all, I, you know, you always see it around for some reason. Like, I, I think it's a pretty well-known one. Um, but did, did the, the lady on the poster remind you of the bride in black from insidious Two? like the, uh, <laughs> the bit, black yeah. rings around the eyes and the, you know, the like powdered face and, um, that for some reason, I always like those two always like kind of merge together for me. Uh, yeah. And then, so with Graham being like the, 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 the psychologist or the, like, you know, studying behavior and all that stuff he kind of reminded me of like a precursor to dr loomis like he he's taking it in his hands to find out more about this rather than like letting law enforcement do it because we have we have the the like um detectives or whatever in this that are trying to figure out the crimes as well right yeah yeah so we i mean we have that and like like you said it was you know it's a procedural in in that aspect but you know, he he kind of he kind of went on his own and did his own thing, and you know, it kind of cost him. Anyway, <laughs> I just you know, it, it's it was the first time watch for me as well. Um, it was is actually my first Pete Walker um, 
watch. And, you know, if the rest of his stuff is is like this, I I would I'd for sure watch some more. Um I do like the British um like aspect to it. Um I I've always liked British stuff and I I think that just the dryness of it just resonates with me. But um yeah, it, it's an interesting film for sure. Yeah. I kind of agree with you, Jeff, because uh Spoiler alert, I love this movie. I'm probably higher than Venom. Uh, You know, uh, fucking... uh, The thing about it, Pete Walker, you're right, Mike. He does make... It does kind of feel like he's kind of doing... Because that's what his movies are. Every time period and subject matter, Pete Walker actually is telling about British society, which it's not going to hit for maybe some of our American stuff, because we, like, we're living in the world where America looking at a British film, in that sense. Mm-hmm. So some of the social commentary that's pouring out of it is not kind of coming to us in the same way as, like, maybe if, like, a Romero movie came out, and, you know, it's American social commentary coming throughout it, you know? It's kind of like that, you know, and I... I really love uh, Rupert. You know, actually, funny enough, Rupert Davies kind of looks like the the, fa- the stepfather from House Bound. <laughs> to, 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 so yeah, I do get the, the House Bound comparisons. <laughs> uh, he, you know, it, it, it's an interesting aspect where when we find out that he might, like, even when the daughter he Graham's talking to the other daughter, he wasn't. He, he doesn't even think that he was actually a cannibal. He just said it so he could be with his wife. Yeah. He was just in love with... Yeah, go ahead. I actually like that aspect. When he mentioned that he kind of had the impression that Edmund was acting insane at the trial just so that they would stay together, that's something you don't see in horror movies. Couples actually sticking together through thick and thin, even though, yes, they're obviously completely insane. I, I thought that was a nice thing because it's, I mean, it, it's a terrible thing to say, but I would probably do the same thing. If I found out Mrs. Venom suddenly was killing people and eating them, I don't think I'd rat her out. <laughs> That's yeah. what love, love is crazy. My friends. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, the thing is, I, you know, yeah, there isn't really a mystery of what's going on in the movie, but that doesn't really hurt it for me because yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. It's like this thing, you know, yeah, Jackie's doing this because her dad's telling her to, because it's her dad. He, she loves her dad. And, you know, I don't think, you know, she doesn't really love Dorothy that much as we find out, because Dorothy is like, just ruined her life pretty much, because, you know, she's been, you know, like, raising this fucking crazy fucking bitch, uh, you know, when she had, you know, because she, Dorothy is Jackie's stepmom, you know, she doesn't yeah. like, you know, and shit like that. I'm curious what happened to her actual mother and shit and that. Graham's, I kind of agree, Graham's kind of a, it's not that, he's kind of a steel actor, too, because he's not really an actor when I was looking him up. Oh, yeah? So his scenes are kind of interesting in that aspect where they're, like, kind of more dry, because he's playing it very dry. It's a very dry movie, like, it's very dry British humor. And, you know, I kind of, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but 
I, I like the journey the movie goes in, you know. And I, it, I think it actually helps. It helps the fact that, you know, it's not the traditional style of humor that we're used to seeing. And it, it, it keeps it from being like what you would expect from like an actual horror comedy that's trying to be comedic. I think there's something to the dry wit that gives it just that little bit of flair that you wouldn't in a movie that's going out of its way to be comedic. Yeah, yeah, and fucking Sheila Keefe, she's just giving like this orgasmic performance. Like when she's just drilling that girl's head in, and you just see her licking her lips, like, oh yeah, like she's giving her orgasm face there. (laughs) (coughs) Like, you know, even Jeff was laughing about it in the fucking chat, you know? I posted a picture of it. Like, just the the facial expressions crack me up, you know? It's like shit like that. Like, every time she's getting down and she's like, oh, look at her lips and shit. It's fucking great. It's fucking <laughs> hilarious. You know, so there's a bit of humor there. You know, and I just love that this movie's ending so fucking dark. I just love it. Yeah. But, this know, this movie is definitely something for people with a dark streak who like to see uh, the villains kind of just get away with what they're doing and continue. Because, I mean, this movie... It's definitely not, in my opinion, it's not the story of Dorothy and Edmund. It's the story of Jackie and Graham. Because once Jackie and Graham are gone, the movie ends. And there's still many chapters left, especially now with Deborah actually with her parents. Like, I feel like a sequel to this would have been totally over the top and something I would have looked forward to. Like, I would have liked to have seen where Deborah took that family. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a very interesting. So the thing, uh, I kind of agree with you on that. I would have liked to see like a part two, like where this movie, you know, pick up where this movie ended, you know, uh-huh. you know, but for what it is, it's not my favorite Pete Walker movie by any stretch, but I still dig Frightmare a lot, man. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it grows on me every time I watch it. Actually, this is probably the best watch of it I had. And I watched this movie like seven times, maybe since nice. I had, you know, and, and, and it's actually interesting because, mm-hmm. Uh, the producers of this movie actually went to Pete Walker to make a cannibal movie, and at first he was against it. But then he thought about it, like, he wanted to do, like, his own kind of spin on it, and that's what this movie is. It's a uh-huh. spin on cannibalism. In a way. Yeah, I mean, you can barely call this a cannibal movie. Yes, Dorothy is a cannibal, but we never see her eating anyone. Yeah. We, we never see them preparing meat. We never see them slicing meat off the bone. I mean, yes, Dorothy is a cannibal, but I I would say this is not a cannibal movie. This is definitely, you know, a mental health movie. Obviously, there's something wrong with Dorothy. Obviously, there's something wrong wrong with Deborah. But yeah, I, I, man, the more I think about it, the more I really want to see, because I just, there are so many unanswered questions that this movie leaves. You know, I asked a couple of them earlier, like, how did Deborah find out her parents were alive. Did they? Oh, that's a, that's a reason. There's actually a good reason about that. Cause uh-huh. uh, she, there was a, she was looking for her. There's a scene where she's looking for uh, a checkbook or like a, something like that. And she finds like an address to who's been, you know, who her sister has been visiting and shit and where she's been sending money to and the address. She follows the address. That's how she finds out where. Her oh, parents are. I completely missed that. Then I, I just would have liked to have just, even even a throwaway line in the movie to tell me, you know, how did 
you know, how did Deborah find her? Maybe even I would have liked to have even seen that scene. Like, could you imagine what that scene would have played out like Deborah showing up at the farmhouse and the parents are both like, what? Well, obviously not the parents, because dad didn't know Deborah knew about them until the end. That was like a reveal to him. That's another thing that kind of bothers me. So you're telling me that only Deborah's mom knew or, or that Deborah and her mom had a relationship, but somehow mom was able to keep this away from dad. That's 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 another hard suspension of disbelief, you know. Well, you know, it's like he had or she had, the dad was keeping things away from her too with Jackie, so it's kind of a right mirror image of both of them in a sense. Yeah, in that sense. You know, so it's interesting in that aspect. One's like more this, like the other parent. Feels like this could go good with Spider Baby as well. <laughs> I like Spider Baby more, or whatever that's worth. But I mean, I'll, I, I'll I, give I, you I, that. Yes, yeah. I do. I, I do like. Yeah, uh, I do like Spider Baby more. I think it's a better movie. Yeah. But, overall, yeah. yeah the, 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 you know, I I like that he just made his own movie, and you know, he's like, you know, I do kind of like that he didn't kind of dwell into the cannibalism. He delved into different certain exactly. issues. You know, yeah, I'm very okay with that. I, I think this needed to be more a character study about mental health than just a flat-out cannibal movie. Yeah. Especially in 74. I mean, what could they really do with, like, shocking effects or blah, 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 you know? Especially being a UK movie. They're not going to take chances that an American or German filmmaker might take, you know? So, um, I, I think, it, yeah, it absolutely it was a good decision to kind of not uh, highlight the cannibalism just kind of mention it um you know obviously we get a scene we get multiple scenes of dorothy drilling someone's head for some reason um they do mention that she has an affinity for brains that uh, oh that, that makes sense because as we find out later that's what the the girl's been bringing her is brains right right i just i would have liked to have seen like a hole or something like the, the the wound wasn't like it didn't look like someone pulled the brain out like, you know, I, I, and again, 1974, they're limited with their budget. And, what and they wanted to see a set. straw. But, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it wasn't plainly obvious to me. That's all I'm saying. Because yeah. the, brain, the brain line is a quick one. They just mention it really fast that, oh, she got, uh, you know, after um, when she was a kid and she was killing all these animals that she was fascinated with the brain more than anything. So it's like they mention that, but then we're supposed to remember that when we see all these bodies with head trauma, you know, it, you know, it, it, again, minor nitpick, but still something I thought about. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Good movie overall, though. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I recommend uh, the, the Redemption Blu-ray of this. Too, and at the very least, it. yeah, at the very least, all three of the young women in this movie are pretty damn attractive. So. Hell yeah! And and who knows? Maybe somebody finds Dorothy attractive too. Uh, maybe old guys enjoy. Orgasm fate. Well, well, you're gonna get that with a lot of Pete Walker. There's a lot of Sheila Keith in all his movies, man. I'm looking forward to the O face. <laughs> oh yeah, we might be covering some more down the line. I like it. Hell yeah! Ah, right, boys. What do you say? We uh wrap this one up let's do it jeff thanks man for coming on yeah thank you Had a blast. yeah and if uh we didn't scare you off too much you're welcome back anytime yeah <laughs> sorry about me i like to talk uh, i'm sure that anybody who's worked with me knows so now you know well uh before 
before we get out of here, we'll do what we usually do. We'll go around and let everyone know where they, where else they can hear us. Uh, Jeff, as our guest, I'll let you go first. Uh, tell everyone where they should be listening to you elsewhere. Yeah, so you could uh, you catch me on Duncan's podcast, podcast under the stairs. I was on the roundtables for the you know last three years. I want to say. Um, I think my podcast feed for Dead End Grindhouse podcast is still up. So, you know, we had a handful of episodes for that. And unfortunately, my most recent show, the Fistful of Action podcast, that feed died. So all that's kind of gone. Um, oh. Yeah, sadly. Um, but I know if you want to follow me i'm i think bush moose 27 on instagram so if anything if i if i start anything up which i'm kind of trying to i'll keep keep you guys updated on there so hey man we always get to create sideshows here you never know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm around let me know sweet all right venom uh what should people be listening from you all right how much time you got okay <laughs> Uh-oh, he's back, bed. folks. He's back. Yeah, you he's are back. back. <laughs> All right. First the and man foremost, behind the cast. <laughs> first and foremost, of course, is Fresh Cuts, the sister podcast to this one, our weekly show where we look at the newest releases in, in the genre. Uh, our latest episode, I believe, is Bad Candy, uh, the latest horror uh, Halloween anthology to be released on VOD. Our next episode, uh, we actually decided to kind of go off the beaten path and look for something a little bit quirky. And we decided to go ahead and look at Chompy and the Girls. Um, (laughs) It's a very, very odd movie. I have not watched the trailer, as is uh, the usual. All I know about it is that Udo Kier is in it. And in one of the scenes in the movie, someone eats a little girl whole as in eats her in one bite, like extends his mouth. So already I'm interested. So that's about all I know about the film. So look for that review later this week. I would imagine as you're listening to this, that episode will be available. Um, Our newest uh, sister podcast to be added to the no more room in hell family is of course, creature comforts. That is uh, a show with myself, Mr. Derek B and Donna Nelly, uh, a veteran of the fresh cut show. That, of course, as the title kind of implies, is our look at creature features. All three of us are huge creature feature fans, and uh, we decided to try to extend the No More Room in Hell brand and uh, get some more content out there. Episode one is recorded. Uh, We take a look at uh, what made sense for our very first episode is one of the original creature features, of course, 1933's King Kong. That episode is recorded, edited, ready to go. We're just waiting for uh, a few more artistic elements uh, for the website, and then that episode will be out. If you're already subscribed to this feed, I would imagine you'll that'll pop up on your feed as well. So if you're a fan of Creature Features, by all means, check that out. Um, uh, and let's see. In the Mic of Madness will be making its triumphant return after taking the entire summer off. Uh, Rebecca Reinhardt, uh, obviously the main host of that show, has been handling all of her independent film projects that she works on, directing, editing, catering. I mean, she's a jack of all trades when it comes to indie horror. Uh, she just completed a project called Tin Roof, which I assume will get a release very soon if it already hasn't gotten one. 
Uh, but now that she's back home and not working on any projects in the foreseeable future, In the Mic of Madness will make its triumphant return. Uh, we will be a, a little bit uh, of a tighter cast as Brad has decided to retire from podcasting. So, Brad Thornton, good luck to you, brother. We'll miss you. So, In the Mic of Madness is now just Rebecca and myself, and we will have an episode out before Halloween. We're in the planning stages right now, and then after that, Hopefully we'll be back to our every other week schedule. Um, that podcast can now be found on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, along with all the others I mentioned. On um, It's Not Horror, okay, we recorded our final episode of the season. Um, because the show is called It's Not Horror, okay, we generally tend to take October off. Because we're all individually, we're all horror movie podcasters on other shows. And especially with this show, we're going to be doing probably an extra episode in October. So um, we decided to take October off for It's Not Horror. But the final episode that we recorded is looking at 1986's uh, Thunder Run, a very obscure action movie. Uh, like I said, from 86, um, I don't think there's any big names in it. At least I didn't recognize anybody. So um, that one should be available sometime in the very, very near future. I'm looking at Victor Crowley for some reason. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. What else do I have? Um, theme Warriors were still Mike and I and the other two hosts on the show are still trying to get together and figure out a date and time that we can get together, obviously, with um, uh, one of us uh, being more East Coast and three of us being in California scheduling tends to, you know, Derek knows this well, tends to mm. be a little bit of an issue sometimes. Mm -hmm. Hosts, especially when dealing with somebody like Duncan, who is in the UK. Um, but that's a story for another show. Um, and God, is that it? I think that's it. I have a, oh, I had a guest spot on the Jacked Up Review show um, last week. We looked, we basically had a general discussion on our favorite mystery science theater and riff tracks episodes where <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, where we uh, basically uh, like an open discussion, not really feature reviews or anything like that. Talking about some of our favorite episodes, some of our favorite songs from mystery science theater, things like that. So check that out. That is the jacked up review show. Unfortunately, I don't know what network that's on. Is that on our network or not, Derek? Do you know? I don't think it might, so. be, might be indie from what it sounds like. Yeah, it might because I know they're on Podbean. So, yeah, it might be a total indie type thing. So um, but you can definitely check out their episodes on Podbean. I'm not sure what number my episode was because they record two episodes every week. So the, the episode number has got to be way up there. Um, but, yeah, look out for that episode. And is that it? Finally, am I finally done? I think that's everything for me, Mike. All right. Well, in that case, let's uh, go on over to Derek. Uh, what do you got that people should be listening to? Sure. First off, life finds a way. <laughs> Gold bloom. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, Cinema Attack, we just recorded an episode where we did a commentary on the classic fungicide. Woo! Uh, that changed everyone's life. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, that's definitely one of those movies that changes you after you see it the first time. Yeah, you're a different person completely. Lots <laughs> of stick fighting. Lots of stick fighting in that movie, and CGI mushrooms made with an Adobe computer. But uh, yeah, 
that was a thing, and uh, that should be out probably around the same time you hear this. Uh, next up, we have uh, we have a few Halloween shows planned for that. They're here. Uh, not sure when we're going to record our next episode. All I know is the movies that we are going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about Fallen and The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Hell yeah. Should be interesting discussion talk with that one. And then, uh, um, what the fuck else do I have? No More Room in Hell, of course. Creature Comforts. Yep. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about that. Don't know what movie we're doing next. Should be awesome, though. Hell yeah. And then also we have, what's it called? Yeah, Blood from the Core. Uh, we're actually, might be recording our next episode this week. I'm not going to reveal the title, but you can find that on the Legion Patreon. So you've got to pay for that show, yo. $2. (laughs) Go join the Legion Patreon. You get some good shit. You get to hear me talk about Ouija Warehouse with fucking Bo. Because I did another Ouija movie. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) Good conversation, but yeah. The conversation's better than the movie watch. This is good. Yeah. That, that, that tends to be the case. I I, I see a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. So, but yeah, that's about it for me, Mike. Cool. Uh, as far as I go, yeah, Venom pretty much said everything there is as far as what I do. Theme Warriors, kind of like he said, it's not really an official hiatus. It's on. It's just we've been so busy, mm-hmm. and now it's like here comes October, and it's like another stacked month full of things to do. So. You know, we're in the process of getting Theme Warriors back. Just bear with us on that. Fresh cuts, like Venom mentioned. And then as far as this show, No More Room in Hell, I mean, the plan as of right now is to have a pretty high output for October with two regular episodes and then hopefully some type of Halloween special, probably a commentary, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't chosen what we're going to do yet. But luckily, commentary episodes are probably the easiest to put together. So not too much pre-planning needed for that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it. I think my picks are up next. I have no idea what I'm oh. going to pick. Uh, anything. Killer after. Crocodile 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. Alligator to the mutation. Do it, Mike. But anyways, I guess before we get out of here, thanks, Jeff, again for showing up and uh, come back anytime. Yeah, thank you. I'll take you guys up on that. Victor Crowley loves you, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Victor Crowley signaling for uh, a field goal. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's good. good. (laughs) Someone kicked a head through the uprights. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, with that, we're going to get out of here. Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode number 37 of No More Room in Hell. We will Good. catch you next time. Bye. Beware of those one-eyed gingers. Hail Satan! Mm.